I've got my pastels. Here they are right now. Hey, boomers! Welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your online guide to the 90s world of Sega and all of that sort of stuff, what they used to do. We are the people who... Humes, that's it. We are the Humes who think we're in charge. I am Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely. And this is a special issue, so we've got a special guest with us. Hey! Hi! Who are you? My name's Richie. Um, I... <laughs> it's hard, I isn't it? To say. This exactly. Yeah, this really is hard. This is why I warn people because it's like I've been asked to do this before, and I'm like, oh, whoa, yeah. oh no! So suddenly, it's like the light shines directly at you. And you're like, whoa. Uh, yeah, no. I'm, my name is Richie Morgan. Dave and I have talked about Sonic the Comic quite a lot, so it's yes. very nice to be on the show to talk about it with other people. Richie is a freelance videographer, and he's been on my short list of potential guests for a long time because Richie is the man who taught me that in every group of friends. There's one secret Sonic guy. <laughs> I think I think I was listening to you and Jim Trinkett's podcast at around the same time I was getting into BitSocket, and they've got one as well. Oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. wait a minute. Does everyone have a sheepish Sonic guy? <laughs> it's the nice thing about growing up and the internet not really happening until a later point in your life, because mm. you have all of that in your youth and your teenage years or whatever yeah. when you're a kid but it's just yours it's your little thing and then years later you jump on the internet and suddenly it's everywhere but also it's that thing of like where everybody's talking about it retrospectively so you're just like oh so you were there as well yeah. oh and you were there <laughs> and you were there oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like it's like meeting someone now and knowing that they were at a gig that you were at yeah. 10 years ago <laughs> it's like that couple where they found out that they were in each other's photo from like 20 years before or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you're of a certain age and a certain fandom, you know, geeky, video gamey, pop culture leaning, yeah. and you come from the UK, then you read this comic. There's yeah. just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It's a it's a shared experience. Richie, do you remember how you came to Sonic and Sonic the Comic back in the day? I mean, as a kid, right, when it comes to video games, I was quite far behind. So I was relying on friends and uncles who were also into video games. So every time I went to my grand's house, I got to play Sonic. And it was also, but also because it was like I associated with that, that trip. Like I didn't have it at home all the time. So it was just like Sonic was this special little thing in my life. As for the comic itself, I remember uh, as kids, me and my brother were allowed one magazine subscription each. Mm. And I don't know how I did it, but I somehow managed to convince my brother to get Sonic the Comic. So it was like he got Sonic the Comic and I would get Total Magazine. <laughs> we both sort of loved it, but I, ha- I have no idea how we even came to know it existed. Or, But I guess it was just it's one of those things, like because we were so into video games. And I think the other thing that I used to really get into with video games was like, the stories in the instruction manuals because yeah. obviously when you used to play video games as a kid there wasn't really any story going on there so you were kind of filling in the gaps a little bit it kind of activated your imagination yeah because they looked games looked so much like a cartoon that you were like well yeah. there's obviously a story and so you would kind of try and figure out what that was yeah well there's yeah i mean you've got you got a setting you've got characters but you don't really have anything else so like there was a lot of like filling in your imagination so i used to really get into like stuff that kind of delved into that a little bit so i guess that's probably how i got into sonic because it was the lot of the mario choose your own adventure books and things like that were doing the same thing so yeah the sonic the comic stuff was great because it enhanced the games in a way because once like i think i learned all the terminology from the comics like knowing what a badnik and a star post and all that sort of stuff so that when you go back to the games it's like the world is a little bit deeper and i think that's why i loved about sonic the comic 
a very uniquely Sonic the Comic thing as well, because yeah. if you tried to do that with any of the other pieces of Sonic media that America was creating, a square peg round hole didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I guess that's the great thing about Sonic the Comic, because it really kind of paid attention to the source material a lot more than anything else did. But I mean, you guys have talked about this at length quite a lot, <laughs> so... But... Do you ever wonder what it would have been like if they just happened to have also done a Mario one? Mm. There are some pages out there of a proposal of like a Fleetway Richard Elson drawn a proposed Mario oh, comic. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, that, who knows? I don't know why they didn't allow them to do that because I wanted one at the time. You know, it was what I was holding out for. I was going to say Nintendo were probably much more possessive, but then I remember the absolute drack they turned out for <laughs> Mario cartoons. So who knows? <laughs> well, before there was. Sonic the comic. I used to get these, like, what I now recognise as reprints of American Mario comics by Valiant. And I've got the books just on my shelf there. I remember getting those from from the school um, book fair and just being like, wow! Mario but a comic! So, you know, as soon as Sonic came out, that was... I had to have it and it overtook it immensely. But, like, God, yeah, I wish there'd been a Mario one as well, you know? At the same time, running at the same time, think what we could have had. A proper console war. And if they were published by the same company, like, they could have really lent into it and had some fun with the two being, like, rival publications. Yeah. Like the Beano and the Dandy fighting it out or exactly. something. <laughs> and we did get, briefly, there was a, at some point, and, oh, we should cover this if we can track it down, they did a Donkey Kong special. Fleetway did a Donkey Kong special written by Nigel Kitching, drawn by Nigel Kitching. He did an adaptation of the original Donkey Kong. Nigel Kitching has done a Mario comic. And I had it, and I hope I can find it. God, where did I put that? Oh. Anyway. Well, probably best to get on with that. That's uh, <laughs> the point. <laughs> let's actually read a comic. So we've got an yes. issue here. It's number 33. Chris, do you have the dates? I do have the dates this time. Uh, This one was released on August the 20th, 1994. Cover dated September 2nd, 94. This is a big one. Richie, were you reading the comic by the time this issue came out? I was, yes. I was. You remember this one? So when you mentioned the date, is the date on the cover the date of the next issue? It's the day before the next issue. It's the off-sale date. It's the day a newsagent was supposed to remove the issue from shelves Uh, so the next day a new one could go up. Okay. Cool, good, sorry. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> no, this, no is, was... this is all very important information. <laughs> only Chris sure knows and understands this. He's the only person in the world who gets this at all. <laughs> all of the lists on the internet are wrong. They all list the cover dates. Yeah, it's like lyrics all over again. I do remember that, because I remember that, that I was making a mental note that that was the day I was to go to the shop and ask if they had it behind the counter yet. Because oh. you always had to wait for the delivery. So, yeah. All right. So it says, um, win a mountain bike. Great Halford's compo inside. Look forward to that. Sonic Sim, the ultimate decoy in Sonic's world. Plus. Plus. And then, in big pink letters. Because he was pink. (laughs) Knuckles lurks in this issue. Yes! Yes! But tell me this. Tell me this and no more. Not to take away from any of our excitement, right? Why... Doesn't he get the cover? Oh, I know. I know. I know. It's the Sonic Sim that is what gets the cover. It's Cam and Bert oh. from the Sonic's World Strip, which started last issue, blowing up a large balloon with what seems to be Sonic's picture on it. It's not a great piece of art. It doesn't. Re- the idea is supposed to be that Sonic <laughs> is on this balloon, and then there are two Buzz Bombers or Motobugs, whatever, depending on <laughs> how you read the story, 
are supposed to be reflected in the balloon as oh, they come is that what zooming doing towards there? it. But it just looks like Sonic and the bugs are in or on the balloon in some but way. Also, and initially looking, I thought he was blowing some glass. Yeah, <laughs> the big <laughs> Sonic was yeah. stuck inside a glass. Yeah, because he's cut, cut so Bert is blowing, and it's when you blow a balloon and it escapes and it goes yeah, and it goes out. yeah, and it flies off. But he's because of that, he's got his hand around the sort of trail of of. <laughs> And it looks, yeah, it does look like glass blowing. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, Knuckles wouldn't, like, I grant you, okay, this is Enter Knuckles Part 1. Yes. And spoilers, let's get ahead of ourselves. Knuckles doesn't appear until the last page of the strip. Yeah. So, okay. Mm. But he doesn't get the cover of next issue either. God, it's the <laughs> injustice that flipping it's Knuckles' debut issue and Cam and Bert. Bert. Take the cover. God! And not to spoil a later page, but it is mentioned that readers have been clamoring for Knuckles for ages, like demanding yeah. Knuckles appear in the comic, and it's like, he's finally here, but we'll not give him the cover. It's so yeah. weird. And he gets some it's really bizarre. good covers not long from now. So Oh, yeah, no, in, in just a couple of issues time, but, but it's still going to be like a couple of issues yeah. before Knuckles even takes the cover. 36, maybe? Yeah. Can I ask before we delve in, actually, is there a cover, because it's in my memory... And I know because I used to draw it as a kid all the time, or was it just a panel? But is there a cover that's a profile shot of Knuckles yes. and Sonic? Yes, oh, yeah. yes, there is. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that, that <laughs> might even be 36. I think that's... Okay. Yeah. I can't remember if that's when they, when they square off. I think I that is that Knuckles' one. first cover, and it's such a good one. Oh, is it? Okay. I think it's a good one. So, yeah. Um, there's one last thing about the cover. Yeah, there which is. is <laughs> and we remember... <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why, but we remembered this. We've discussed remembering it from day one. There's something about this cover. I didn't remember it was the Knuckles issue. I don't know if you did. Chris, but I'm not sure. Something about this cover, I've always remembered that it had something taped to the front, and I always knew what yes, it was. This is a special free <laughs> gift issue. Free Roundtree's fruit pastels. They are scrummy. Mine still has quite a lot of the tape there because by Same. this point, I, uh. I knew to cut the tape rather than try and rip it off. <laughs> As we know, mine aren't my original copies, but the person who owned this one before me did the same. They knew to, to cut it and wrap it back around. It's easier to cut the tape on something like a... I mean, packs of sweets were never... They were brilliant to get free, oh, but yeah. they were not good for the comic because they were tubular. So <laughs> Yeah, they were bodacious. <laughs> so they could really rack your comic. Just the, the, the way they were stacked in the newsagents as well, it's just not... But was it one single piece of tape for a tuba? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's sort of the thing. Just cello, moving... normal cello tape. <laughs> yeah. I think, I can't remember well enough, but based on the fact that, not to jump to the inside of the cover already, but Megadroid calls it a sample packet. So I think it was uh... in there like a fun size. Oh, yeah. It was, no, I remember this clearly. It was just a little one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking <laughs> yeah. five You'd need two tops. bits of tape to hold down a full. Oh, yeah. A full <laughs> tube of pastels. And also, also remember that this was the distant past, so the... The paper around a tube of pastels was very flimsy, so if you tried to steal it, I think the pastels would just spill all over the newsagent floor. And you, I mean, I'm trying to think back. Have I ever eaten a penny sweet off a newsagent floor? I bet I have. I bet really? I have. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Almost guaranteed I have. But I can I remember can't the think of an instance myself. <laughs> so what we have done, all three of us, and uh, Richie yeah. seems to have got a head start is we have gone and got fruit pastels. Well, we got some fruit I must pastels credit here. my serious business co-host, Jahan Ranasing for purchasing my fruit pastels while I'm in quarantine because of my medicine. But um, we have bags. Difficult to get tubes these days, but we've got bags 
of battles. So let's open them now, gents. Yeah. To fully replicate the experience. I'm just going to rattle mine because mine is already open. I can tell you got one and you got now. <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying the optimistic peel and reclose <laughs> sticker on the back. Oh, what? That implies well. I'm not going to eat all of these. <laughs> I'm a slow sweet eater. I think I can make this last. I'm going to use my, my label. Listen, Dave, you can't be here because you can't keep a sweet in your mouth for 20 minutes in the course of recording a podcast. We'll see. Thing. <laughs> right, well. Yeah, this could be a very saliva-loaded episode of STCTP. It will be. But <laughs> you know, the last time I had a pastel, I know exactly when it was. It was when Twilight Princess was new because they brought out back then, I know, they brought out back then packs of just the red and black ones and I was so spoiled by how wonderful an experience that was that I've simply never had any ever again because those are your favourite flavours, the red and black yeah, of ones of course they are, the rest of the flavours are worthless my, my, uh, my favourite fruit pastel thing at the moment is that my girlfriend, we were talking about sweets and she said, I really, she pronounced it, she says, oh I really like a fruit pastel oh. <laughs> and then we proceeded to have a ten minute argument about the pronunciation of pastels versus pastel, where I brought a up fruit like a, pastel <laughs> I've had like a 10 minute selection of YouTube adverts. Everyone <laughs> pronouncing it. Yeah. yeah. It's not a spanner, there's a pastille in the works. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what I'm going for. I got a red one. Oh, I'm having a black one for sure to begin with. There it is. I'm reaching in at random. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, there it is. There's that Twilight Princess goodness. Oh, because they're Twilight Princess now. I'm going, I'm running across the fields as I speak. Oh, there it is. Oh. Oh, that lovely big Hyrule field. Right. I lost a filling last week, and I can't go to the dentist because there's a pandemic on, oh, so no. pardon me if I eat tactically. Yeah, 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 you do that. <laughs> That's what I'm feeling right now. You can enjoy your Hyrule fields. <laughs> do you want to do the back cover? Because it's an irrelevant advert. Yes, we probably should. Just some advert! Just Hey, I'm just interrupting while nothing's really going on to say that I had some pretty bad hay fever when we recorded this one, and I think you can hear it, and I apologise for that. You know, me and Sam have worked tirelessly to edit out a lot of sniffing and snorting, but it, you can still tell. So, sorry, back on with the podcast. It is the new Spireus robot yeah. from Lego. I don't remember this. No, this doesn't ring a bell with me. Or at least, I kind of, you know, the picture itself rings a bell because it was on STC, but the actual mm, product. Yeah. I never had but it does look a lot like Mtron which I had some of so yeah. I, I looked it up and yeah it's basically another they're all just space and they brought out various things and Mtron were like the fire brigade of space apparently I thought they were much cooler <laughs> than that <laughs> <laughs> apparently they were the search and rescue people they had cranes they got little aliens out of little alien trees but this is the spies and the first time Lego released a robot minifig but what we're looking at in this advert is Basically a kind of cop car looking spaceship being attacked by a giant robot that you build out of bits and that's the whole set. And there's a kind of a space base. It looks really cool. All Lego was great at that time and has never been as good since. <laughs> the new Spireus Mighty Mogul and Spireus Cybernetic Sobatron Whoa. are determined to destroy the most advanced spaceship transporter in the universe. What will become of the monorail shuttle launcher? Can the galaxy be saved? Discover the answer with LEGO Systems Spireus. Editor Sam here. I had this set as a kid. I got it for Christmas one year. It was called Robo Guardian in the US, but I had this. It was awesome. You could like detach the head, which was its own little spacecraft, and like fly it around. 
And like the arms had all these gears in them and stuff. Anyway, enough of me. Lego System. I guess that's what they were calling it at the time. Lego System was just what they called, like, essentially what I think of as Lego. Lego that isn't just a bucket of random bits. So, like, Explosion. if it came with instructions and, and had a, a franchise attached, and by that I just mean, you know, a Lego franchise yeah. like Pirates, that was Lego System. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. I regret to announce that this is not quite as nice a purple pastel as I had in the Twilight Princess days. They're black. They've changed it to make it taste more authentically blackcurranty, which I don't want. I want it to just taste of sugar. Actually, <laughs> that is purple, isn't it? Yeah. Probably a purple one. Mm, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, but I comment, yeah. There's so much chewing going on in my yeah. ears. We'll edit it out. Well, <laughs> I don't even have to edit it out. It. We've got an editor now. Sam's going to do it for me. Nice. Oh, is this one going over to him? You would subject him to this Oh yes. test. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I live to subject Sam to things. All right, let's actually do an episode of this podcast. Here they are right now. They got my pastel. Here they are right now. They got my pastel. Here they are right now. They got my pastel. Here they are right now. Control zone. All right, so I've got a pastel in my mouth, listeners. You're just going to have to put up with that. Welcome screen. This is a weird opening, isn't it? I thought the same thing. Megatroid says. Hey boomers, it's your old pal Megadroid back online after a much needed overhaul and refit. I've been operating on standby power lately, but now that I'm scrubbed, cleaned, recharged and have a new operating system, energy levels are at 100% and it's time to kick it again. That's... It makes it sound like there'd been some kind of refresh or redesign to the comic and they might have yeah. changed Megadroid's design, but everything's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. different, yeah. You would only ever expect to hear that if there was a significant change in the design here, but no... It almost sounds like, sorry, the last couple of issues have been a bit rubbish, but we're... <laughs> <laughs> Which they haven't, by the way. No. Is this him gearing up to tell you that the comic's going to cost five pence more? It is. I feel like it is, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the welcome screen is like, you enjoying your fruit pastels? I bet you are. Mm -hmm. Tells us about the strips that are coming up, the fact that it's the final installment of Pirate STC, that Decap Attack is back next issue, and there's going to be a free gift, but that... From next issue, the price is going up 5p. This one took me by surprise now when I was reading this. I didn't remember yeah. this was when the price went up again. There's so much stuff that happens all at once that I didn't realise happened all at once, you know? The pastels, Camembert, Knuckles, the price going up. <laughs> the true golden age. The fact that, well, look at this. You've been asking for him and he's here. Knuckles crashes into the new Sonic story. We've got big plans for Knuckles. So has Sega with the new Sonic and Knuckles game due out next month. I know, right? Time's roaring on! I can't believe it! Feels like Sonic 3 just came out. Well, I mean, it it, it did. Yeah, there's not a huge yeah. amount of time between the two, is there? Well, this is no, August it... so much, April, May, June, June. It's only been six months since Sonic 3. Holy... Mm. But it felt like it when I was 12. Of course. <laughs> it felt like yeah. When you were a kid, you would have thought there were <laughs> yeah. years between Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. Then we've got a column in the middle, bust till you drop. Yes, once again, they're yet again telling us about the Sega bus. I had no memory. When you were talking about this in a previous episode, I was like, I have no memory of this bus, but now I see the photo. Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm seeing that you don't know where it's going to be unless you phone an expensive number. No, that's right. Up till now, they've been carefully listing everywhere it's going to be, but now they're just like, I don't know, it's driving around. Just call this. It's 39p per minute cheap rate, 49p per minute at any other time. That's an annoying amount of money to this day. I mean, there probably were timetables and schedules somewhere, <laughs> but... Yeah. yeah. 
I do like the note at the end, which is that call the hotline, not STC. The humes here couldn't catch a bus if it fell on them. I like that. Yeah, it's good hume chop busting comedy, but it does also give you the impression people have definitely been phoning the comic. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a little apology here. Reduced reviews. Unfortunately, and this is in a black box, it really feels like an obituary or something. (laughs) Unfortunately, STC is short on reviews, this issue. Something about this makes me feel like someone didn't turn in copy on time, do you know? (laughs) Hence, the review zone occupies one page. However, don't worry, as new games are starting to swarm into STC, and the review zone will be fully restored next issue. What happened? I don't know. Maybe they had too many advertisers. Maybe the bike competition got in the way. I doubt it's because they oh, didn't have maybe. enough games to review, you know? The fact that every page of this comic is filled with yeah. an actual advert or real material instead of a pin-up or something implies <laughs> there wasn't a need to suddenly scrabble for content. And also, just an astonishing amount of Sega systems on this right-hand column here. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah, there was four systems on the go <laughs> yeah all at once yeah. yeah we rarely we don't mention it anymore but the sega charts the sega charts has mega drive mega cd master system still and game gear every fortnight it's all there and sadly we are sonic is at position six with all sports Ugh. above him <laughs> virtual racing at five pga european tour golf at four World Cup usa 94 at three fifa international soccer at two and pete sampras flipping tennis at one Boring. I'm having a pastel. I got my pastel. I remember being excited about Pete Sampras tennis because I had the two control ports in the cart. Yes. Yeah. The J cart. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It must be a Codemasters game then. Oh, a red pastel. Here they are right now. Sorry. It must have been a Codemasters game. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think mm. it was. Yeah. They've got mesmerized with the pastel there. <laughs> <laughs> Swept away. I can't help it. I just can't help it. <laughs> Enter Knuckles Part 1 Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Ellie DeVille When Dr. Robotnik's death egg falls from orbit, but no wreckage is found anywhere on Mobius, the Kintabor computer suspects that the satellite has crashed on the floating island. Sonic is incredulous, but when he and Tails investigate, they're shocked to discover that the legendary island in the sky is very real. Navigating the hazards of the island's marble garden zone, the pair locate Robotnik, but standing between them and the evil doctor is the island's guardian, Knuckles the Echidna, who Robotnik has duped into serving as his bodyguard. Oh, I'm looking forward to being able to put a new bit of music over that. I haven't had any Sonic 3 yet. <laughs> Gotta do Knuckles' theme, right? Nah, I've ch- it's a bit boring though. I tried using that when we first uh, introduced him, and I had to use the diddle little 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 little. Oh one yeah, that's instead. yeah. To tell you, yeah. I, I've just got a little story about the knuckles theme. Please tell us, please. Any and every relevant thing that you have in your brain, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was in um, a bathroom in a building, uh, basically at my work, and a friend of mine, Barry, actually, you know Barry. He hadn't come in yet, so someone came into the bathroom and sat in the cubicle next to me, and out of their phone just started playing the knuckles theme. <laughs> <laughs> and it was obviously Barry just doing a funny thing to get my attention, but because I couldn't be a hundred percent certain it was Barry, we just both sat in silence while the, the Knuckles theme played for about a minute. <laughs> and then there was a sort of a 
Barry? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my knuckle steam story. <laughs> All right, we got a comic here. This is it. This is it. This is uh, this is the one I always think of. I know we've had the Sonic Terminator, and that was when STC really got epic. But when I think of like when did STC start, really, really land and start, this is the one to me that I always go to because. This is the issue that... Okay, here's my story with this issue. I remember being one of a crowd of boys crowding round someone's copy of this at school. Mm. It wasn't mine, and it wasn't even, like, my best friend Sonic cohort. It was, like, just another boy in the class who we were also friends with. Because in those days, STC was just a normal thing. And he came in, and he had... Sorry, I've still got a pastel in my mouth. It's another pastel, listeners. You're just going to have to put up with this sound. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. There it was on the table and everyone crowding round because there was Knuckles. And like, this was an event. This was a big deal. That same boy later turned up with a copy of the book Living with a Willy. <laughs> Pan 399. Which was written by the agony uncle from Teletext. <laughs> I mean, we've talked in the past about how the Girl Trouble Sonic Terminator story essentially begins the golden age of the comic that'll basically, and a series of interconnected stories that essentially last until issue 100. But this issue, in much more short form, starts probably like what is recognized as the single greatest running story arc in the comic's history, which goes from now until, what is it, 53, 54, that sort of territory? Wow. Up to the second anniversary, the, the extended adaptation of Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles, all in one that actually does the whole story of the games. That long? Mm. Not uninterrupted. Yeah, there are interruptions. But, wow. At the time, I don't think I thought of it as a single, you know, run, mm, because mm. I just thought of STC as a single sure, yeah. thing, you know? I mean, I knew I was reading the adaptation of Sonic 3, so to speak. Yes. Even though maybe I really only recognise that truly in retrospect whenever the we have a little break and then we come back to the what you know is the Sonic and Knuckles adaptation. Mm. Just the whole bit with the Death Egg and everything. It's so weird. It's, it's not until I sat and read this before coming on that I realised how bite-sized it is. Mm. I mean, I knew because the comic has so much in it that it's, every uh, series is only a few pages, but God... That must have been hellish. I don't have any memory of it being like really frustrating. I just um, my memory is it of just looking at it from the end because obviously you just go back over and over yeah. and over oh, again yeah. and start again. Like every time a new one came out, yeah. <laughs> I have no memory of the frustration of having to wait Fortnite to Fortnite. See, I didn't find it frustrating because to me, I had time to really pour over it. You know, it yeah. was I was learning to draw everything in it. Yeah. You know, it was a good amount of time. So, let's talk about this. First thing that happens is we are watching the news, and the newsreader is a Sally Acorn. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, historically, we've all remembered this as being mm. Sally Acorn. But uh, yeah. Nigel Kitching was, again, kind enough to supply us with the script to this issue, yeah. as he has done with, with uh, issues in the past. And it turns out that the script only calls for a newsreader. Yeah. He didn't necessarily intend for this to be Sally Acorn. Yeah, so so or at least he didn't. Whether when Rich drew it, did he go, Oh, I'll draw Sally Acorn, or did he go, I'll draw one of the animals that there are in this and make it a newsreader? It's the fact she's got the bow very specifically makes you how would you question it was Sally? Well, that's right, but so this is something that I've been wondering about because that squirrel was not supposed to be female in Japan. Mm, Ricky. Yeah, and over here they just thought, Well, we need a girl on the team somewhere, so they just put a bow 
on an existing little animal and went, there you go, that's the girl one. <laughs> so it's done. And that, you know, from there, it spun off into the existence of Sally Acorn and so on. But, like, we know that. But presumably a lot of the people essentially, you know, roped into freelancing for some Sonic project or another will not have realised that not all squirrels in this world have bows on their heads. <laughs> We've been taking the bow to mean Sally Acorn, but it might just mean squirrel to... Richard Elson? I don't know. We'd have to ask him, I suppose. Who knows? Well, I was going to say, it probably happens because somebody didn't want to design a new character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he did design a nice suit for her. Yeah, that's yeah, true. she's got an <laughs> 80s shoulder-padded suit. And a, a ruffles in the neck. Yeah. Yeah, like full-on, like, Prince Ruffles. <laughs> I really like the silhouetted death egg. Which is just a big black egg. A big egg. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure it's because they still didn't have any reference for the death yeah. egg at this point yet. Like, we still yeah, didn't it's... really know that it was the- it had the whole face on it. No. Mm. Uh, yeah, the-, the team didn't get the Death Star reference, I don't think, at this point. <laughs> Much as I also didn't. I don't know, but I always felt like I imagined it would have been egg-shaped, because why would you call them death egg otherwise? Like you, um, I think back in issue six when we went back to the death egg, I think it was drawn with the super laser on it. Yeah, well, we weren't to know that his name was Eggman, and that's why it's called the Death Egg. Well, no, like, I mean, well, no, but we got the egg joke because he was all about the eggs. Yeah, he had the eggomatic. He had the Death Egg. He smelled of eggs. I think as a kid, I just imagined it being a sort of a really mean spirited joke about his weight oh <laughs> i mean it, it, i think it probably was sort of was <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i guess so. <laughs> they always talk about how kinderboy was svelte and trim and ballooned up like an egg we get the callback to the sonic the summer special here too because yes. th- th- this is essentially you know this is chapter one but like chapter zero or the prologue was published in sonic the summer special which he talked about a couple of months ago where we saw knuckles finding the wreck of the death egg on the floating island oh obviously in the game canon it's simply the death egg from the end of sonic 2 after sonic yeah. took it down at the end of the game but in comic continuity because we had the six month time travel time jump storyline very early on this is the death egg 2 which has just apparently its its engines have just failed or something and it's fallen from orbit i, I think there's been a mention of the death egg 2 before in the summer no, special so. they just called it the death egg but in wasn't it in the summer special in the interview with robotnik didn't they mention like yo you've got a new death egg they mentioned there was a death egg in orbit they didn't specifically call it the death egg 2 but so but... is this the only time death egg 2 is mentioned then i'm pretty sure yeah that's so strange then. It's just a bit of a continuity patch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I love how quickly they need to establish that the floating island is some kind of legend that definitely doesn't exist. And then it's like, by having a panel just saying, the floating island is just a dumb legend. And then it's next panel, it's like, oh my God, it's the floating island. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And it, that's, that somehow worked on But me. it worked. Yeah, going, no, of course. It's like, just, it's very ah, quickly. Yes, the, yeah. the ancient legend of the floating island. It really, in, in a way that the Death Egg 2 apparently didn't. Yeah. <laughs> this really set into my mind that, yes, there is a legendary floating island. It's a neat little... Actually, it's a good way to um, change the scene because you have them in the base and they're setting up what's going on and then Amy goes, oh, you're all nuts. The floating island in the sky is only a dumb legend. And then you smash cut to, I'm not getting in that dress. No way, no how. You can't make me <laughs> exactly. camera switch. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly that. Except instead of Amy going like, whoa, I can't believe it. It's Tails saying, but the island's a dumb legend. Whoa, there it is. <laughs> I mean, like many things in STC, it also works because we bring our external knowledge of the games. And even if we haven't played the games, what we've read about the games in other magazines, and even in this, what we've been told, 
told about Sonic 3 through the news zone and everything. You'd be hard pushed to find somebody who was reading this comic who didn't even at the time already know what the floating island was and what Knuckles' whole deal was. Yeah, but Sonic 3, is there any hint of a floating island in the story in Sonic 3 itself? So this is the interesting thing. It says in the manual, the floating island. Right. But when you play the game, it's not flying. You're, you're coming in from the sea, yeah. Yeah, you're coming in from the sea. You're heading across the la- the beach, the land. It's. Does that mean it's already crashed? The idea from the Japanese manual specifically is supposed to be that the Death Egg crashes on the floating island and bashes it down right. onto the surface of the planet, oh, okay. which is why the start of the game looks the way it does. We'll get more into this, I think, <laughs> next episode, whenever we have to talk about the Chaos Emeralds and the strange yeah. varying depictions of them. But essentially, yeah, like the Death Egg pushes the island into the ocean. I mean, I always thought, I think I might have said this on the show before, I always thought that the idea was that Sonic 3 followed like directly on from yeah. Sonic 2. And that it was Sonic and Super Sonic and Tails Mm. literally flying down right from the end of Sonic 2. We left them at Sonic 2. They were flying up. They were coming down from Sinking the Death Egg. He's got the emeralds. I thought it was supposed to be minutes later that they were coming down to the floating island. But uh, it's it's not. What? What? What do you mean it's not? Because the thing has to crash and push the island all the way down. And Robotnik has to have time to find Knuckles and trick him into... Uh, working with them and everything it is supposed set to be up a load of robots yeah. yeah fair enough but it's it's not long later anyway yeah much long you know but it's not literally minutes which is what i always thought for a very long yeah. time so by and large right yeah this is one of those issues we talk about a lot mm. it's a running the zone issue yeah but it's brilliant <laughs> it's really good <laughs> all the ingredients of this are right you know nigel's made the decision to Skip Angel Island Zone. He's gone straight to Marble Garden just purely because that's got a few more obvious like gimmicks that he can put into a story. So you've got Sonic being spat arrows at by one of those faces in the wall mm-hmm. with a great little bit of dialogue to oh make my goodness. that fit into a story. Yes. I mean, what we have here, once again, is probably the last great... All three or four of them have been in mm-hmm. the last couple of issues. It's the last great example... Of panels that Americans love to take out of context to say that (laughs) STC was weird and mean all the time. Where Tails, looking at one of the arrow-spitting faces on a column, says, Sonic, I don't like the look of that face. And Sonic says, I don't much like the look of your face. Am I complaining? And And when he says it, he's saying it to camera, hands out, he's doing a big joke. I just think it's so funny. (laughs) That's a great... That is a great little joke. And that's the thing, though, is that this is the great example of one that Americans and younger fans do that with, but where they don't take it out of context, they just don't get it. (laughs) There is no wider context for what he says. It's just bounce. And it's great. (laughs) It's, I mean, it it honestly reminds me, presumably this didn't happen because we read this panel, but something something your face was always a go-to joke with (laughs) you know my friends my brother and i sure that's normal right that's what british boys do maybe they don't anymore i don't know (laughs) but he's doing a joke he (laughs) i I think he wants tails to laugh at his joke it's a good joke he's just busting his chops it's just a and then he does another one an arrow shoots out of the thing that tails was warning him about but he wasn't looking because he was doing the joke to camera (laughs) the arrow shoots out just misses him, 
And Sonic goes, hey, can I take a joke? Which I also think is a joke. But, like, it's just a way to move from thing to thing to thing. Here's how yeah. you introduce a gimmick from the game, but, like, make it a bit of bounce between people. Make it w- Nigel's good at this. Mm. So Sonic spin attacks through that face to break it. He goes all the way through the pillar it was in, ends up sliding down one of those hills that you slide those down. Those big steep hills that the Marble Garden has. Yep, falls off the end of it and onto another one, goes sliding down, and ends up essentially ejected off the end of the slide over the edge of the island, you know, to fall to his death miles below. And he's caught by Tails, because Tails could catch you and fly you about in Sonic 3. That's so right, no, I didn't think of that, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's caught and flown him around before in the comic, but yeah. it feels different here, you know. I really enjoy how this comic introduces the new things from Sonic 3 mm. like that and the force field. <laughs> yes, I love that bit! <laughs> you see, I'm less into it whenever it's stuff from Sonic 1 or Sonic 2 like it's been in previous issues because at this point we've played those games we know it, we don't have to have it introduced to us but it should absolutely be like a running the zone story to introduce the brand new game. Mm. Yeah. And show you all yeah. the cool features of the new game. That's it, because we were here to read Sonic 3. Yes, exactly. But yeah, there's this fantastic bit where... What's the badnik called? It's called a Point Dexter. Ah, Point Dexter. Which is one of the few really good bad nicknames from Sonic 3. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got its... That's the one that kind of looks like a flying... Pufferfish. Pufferfish, yeah. And it just looks silly when it's not got its spikes out. So it's flying along, looking stupid. And Sonic goes, oh, I'll just, I'll just bash this one. And he goes spinning attack towards it. And as you do in Sonic 3, he times it just wrong. The spikes shoot out of it, and so he has to activate his insta-shield. And this is the first time any such thing has been mentioned. He goes, yow, and like a big slash of electricity comes out of him. And Tails is like, oh no, and Sonic goes, don't worry, I got my force field up just in time. And Tails says, I didn't know you had a force field. And Sonic goes, I'll tell you about it, but not now. (laughs) Yeah, it's just just Sonic saying, I've got that now. That's a... That's just a thing now. <laughs> they do explain it in a couple of issues' time, but they take a while, yeah. I think they do. Oh, yeah, do they? they okay. do, don't they? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> but no, at this point, that's just like, yep, don't worry, yeah, 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 don't worry about Nigel it. Nigel hasn't it. thought of the reason behind this yet. And I had a little poke about in the script, and there's no note there at all. He's just written it like that, and that's the way it is. <laughs> oh, what was the bit where he did... Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, there was a bit in the script I did enjoy, which is in the big splash page where they're flying towards the floating island for the first time, and he writes a note to Rich. Um, for a reference of how the floating island looks from the air, check out the particularly fine illustration of same in the Knuckles solo strip from the summer special. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which he drew himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making short work of these pastels. I got my pastels. Here they are right now. One thing I really like about the design of the floating island is that what immediately registered as a kid was like all the pipes and stuff hanging out at the bottom. Yeah. Which immediately tells me that it's come from the ground. Mm. Yes. It used to be connected to something. It's built yeah, by yeah. someone. I'm eating another pastel now. This is a lemon one. Nom, nom, nom. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. But just because coming on the podcast, I haven't read this comic in years. Yeah. One of the other things I really enjoyed was just how in the comic he does things that he does in the game. Like I'm going to crash through a wall using my head. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like because Sonic does that and that's fine and there's no reason to come up with another explanation as to why that happens no exactly that's another issue I've always had with Archie you know <laughs> <laughs> there was you know when it got when it turned into furry drama the early days perfectly fine but when it turned into furry drama it was like oh how should we solve this problem I'm like you're Sonic you can do Sonic stuff you've got to <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Richard is really on form, this issue. This is some of the best art we've ever had on the comic up to this point. Every drawing is perfect. I love how open the panels are. Lots mm. of lots of sky, and uh, mm. they, they feel very expansive somehow. <laughs> yeah, you're getting an overview of the area you're in a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what does jump out at me, though? and It's not all a positive. Um, yeah. There's an awful lot of hand-talking. Oh, <laughs> the the characters are like like final panel here. So, as okay. we said in the synopsis, they find Robotnik. Well, he pops <laughs> up and goes, "My congratulations on finding me so promptly." And then Sonic takes a run at him, and Knuckles appears, and you know Sonic essentially runs right into Knuckles' fist. So then Sonic's lying passed out, and Tails is just he's pointing at him. He's <laughs> just pointing at him, just just ooh, and just just pointing. At him. <laughs> so. I made the same observation as I was reading it this time, but I've decided that what he's doing is he's poking him him to get him to wake up. (laughs) That's what I think it is, yeah. But there's a few other instances, like where everyone's standing around with the Kintabor computer, there's a weird number of clenched fists, you know? Oh, That's almost like the default Elson hand position sometimes. People make a clenched fist. Well, Chris, it's the easiest to draw. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I'm just thinking about how hard hands are to draw. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Oh, I never oh, I never noticed this. I don't know whether to bring it up because I don't want to say a word against Richard Elson. I think but, I have um, just noticed exactly what you're about to say. Go ahead. <laughs> we have two pages where you see the uh, back at the base gang. The first page is devoted to them. And then the third page, they, they have a couple of panels in the middle. In which they've all lost a finger. Oh. On the first page, everybody has four fingers and a thumb. And on the third page, they all have three fingers Except, and a thumb. That's Johnny and Porky together. But not Sonic and Teals in the next panel directly below that. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> How odd. That is rather odd, isn't it? Oh, Richard. I'm just going to take a quick flip. Four, four, four. No, it looks like Sonic and Teals have four... Yeah, four everywhere else in the I mean, comic. it can happen. You know, when you're drawing a cartoony character and you forget for a moment, oh, is this one of the ones that has three fingers or is this one of the ones that has four fingers? But um, Sonic generally has four as a rule, right? I don't know. Never really thought about it. Yeah, I've never really thought about it either. But given that he's always pointing and gesturing with even up to two fingers sometimes, yes. you kind of really have to do four fingers on a guy who's going to hold up two, otherwise it looks weird. I think he's got four fingers. I think he does. And in fact, you know, as I understand it, it certainly used to be common law that uh, Japanese cartoon characters always had the four fingers and the thumb and that mm. uh, that they don't go for that American nonsense. Elson loved his hands. He was big into the hand acting. And this is the first time I've really noticed it coming across in an issue, you know, where it jumped out at me, where he was so focused on finding somewhere for the character's hands to be doing something all the time <laughs> that you do wind up with slightly odd things like Tails pointing at the unconscious Sonic. I mean, to be honest, Sonic doesn't even really look unconscious. Yeah. He looks... I guess I guess this is just a criticism. He doesn't look unconscious. He looks as if he's been posed to look unconscious. You know? Well, he's got his fingers on his tummy like Mr. Mm. Greedy. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, a dad that's fallen asleep on the couch. Yeah. That's what he looks like. I'll tell you what, though. I've never thought of this before. I've never put this together before just reading this for this, but... There's a certain softening of everyone's features in this, which I always just took to be like, you know, Richard's been drawing the character for a while, he's got more comfortable with it. But I wonder if it was to tie in with the fact that he has softened features in the sprite for Sonic 3. There's a more roundedness to him in that game, and I think it's being Mm -hmm. matched here. I think it comes across most clearly on Tails. 
Yeah, there's a marked change in Tales, and I'm not sure what it is without getting out previous issues to compare to. I mean, it's the adventures version of Tales, but drawn in a good way. I mean, putting it simply, though, although we won't really notice it for maybe a good, like, 70 issues nearly, smaller and rounder is the arc of Richard Helson's Sonic artwork. Everybody gets rounder and chubbier and more super deformed almost over time as his exaggerations grow. All right. Well, we are now entering into like a period of time when he's just drawing it perfectly. Top of his game. Absolute 100% top of the game. Yeah. Knuckles' flat head is quite pleasing. I know. I I always (laughs) loved his head. It was so confusing yeah. to me, like how because I couldn't figure it out to learn to draw it. You know, mm. that is what shape his head was. He had a flat. You know, if you're looking at him from head on, as you are, okay. Look, I want to talk about these two panels of knuckles because yes, they are important in my life. And the first one, more even than the second one, where he fully appears, because the first one, Sonic, you've had the first. It's on the last page. You've had Sonic zooming towards Robotnik. We're getting closer to Robotnik with the camera as Sonic gets closer to him. It's a big action shot, and then suddenly. The comic is interrupted with a panel cutting across the middle of it. But Richard's done that. That's normal. In fact, he does it on the previous page and you just read it as nothing. You don't go, oh, a big cut across panel. This one doesn't go all the way across the page. It's like a little letterbox that you're looking through in the middle of the comic. So it's like an intrusion, which helps it to feel like it's like, bang, it suddenly happens in the middle of the comic, interrupting everything. All the other panels have to like jump out of its way. And it's this panel of a close-up of Sonic's face, directly side on, running into Knuckles' fist. And Knuckles, you can't see Knuckles, just his fist sticking out. And that is the first appearance of Knuckles. And then the next panel, with Sonic, you know, unconscious or having a snooze on the sofa, (laughs) tails poking at him, Robotnik there going, ha 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 ha. Knuckles is stood there, just looking down over him with this, this look on his face that's, it's like intimidating but not not particularly menacing and it does say in the script not to make him look too evil he's not a bad guy but he also has this he's clearly he's the guy who's just knocked someone down there's a certain satisfaction yeah, he's in got his hands on his hips he's, yeah he's, yeah he doesn't say a word no dialogue yep. from knuckles in this first one robotnik gives him the introduction meet knuckles invincible guardian of the floating island and my own personal bodyguard <laughs> and he is of course a pink. perfect pink a lovely beautiful <laughs> knuckles pink because Knuckles was pink. <laughs> Knuckles was pink. Don't come at me with this red stuff. He was pink. <laughs> Total retcon. They go on about, oh, well, it was a problem that we had with displaying oh, the hood. No, Shut up. Look, it's just the, the white highlights make it. <laughs> oh, no, he's, he's pink. No. Sonic, he had red shoes. That's mm. how we know it wasn't the hood problem. His shoes were a different color than the rest of them. Sonic's shoes were red. There was no problem displaying red. Knuckles was pink. The comic is blameless. The comic was just working off of the reference material (laughs) that they had for Knuckles, which made him pink. The excuse that sort of Sonic fans give, and presumably this comes from some source, they won't have just made this up, but it's that, they might have done, is that, well, (laughs) they wanted Knuckles to be red, but the Mega Drive, because of the colour palettes they were using for the HUD, they couldn't make him be red, so he had to be pink. Like how the Incredible Hulk was supposed to be grey, but it went wrong and he was green. Well, like no, that. no, was, uh, they couldn't reliably print grey consistently, so they made the conscious choice to change Oh, it did they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. Okay, yeah. Um, and if you look at the first issue of the Hulk, even in any reprints, it's all over the shop. Right. <laughs> well, 
I don't buy it because Knuckles was pink and they changed him to red for Sonic and Knuckles and presumably that was because they did some focus testing or they looked at the colour scheme and they thought, ah, red, blue and orange will be nice. They'll they'll have just decided to do it. But but he was pink. (laughs) I had no idea about any of this. Sorry, I'm just Google image searching now and it's blown my mind. I didn't even know I didn't even notice it happening. I mean, to be honest, like he probably shouldn't have been pink because they had a pink character already. They had Amy, like he should have oh, been yeah. he should have been red because they didn't have a red character. I mean, they had Robotnik, yeah. but Yeah, you're right there. Anything else to say before we wrap up Sonic the first part of Sonic 3? It's happening. It's all kicking off. I think I'm good. I'm just excited for more of it. Yes. Yeah, it definitely leaves me a wee bit excited. <laughs> It, this is just the same thing that everybody always says about these ones, but uh, the art. Yeah. Like, you always yeah. knew that something good was going down when you got that Richard Elson art. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you opened it, it was Kitching and Elson, yeah. and you knew it was a special Here story. we go. You yeah. knew you were, yeah. you were here for one of the tent poles. That's yeah. it. They've established that with the Metal Sonic stuff. Yeah. Then I mean, we've yeah, had a gap. that was when it was... Well, I mean, I guess you could say it was established with the origin of Sonic through to Megatox. Yes. But then it was affirmed and you definitely knew it was a repeating pattern with the girl trouble through Metal Sonic. Rather. That's it. And then we've had a break. We've gone back to normal STC, as it were. And now we know something's kicking off. And if you know about Sonic 3, you know exactly what it is. And if you don't, you're still getting some great Sonic... God, these pastels are not hanging around. Oh, a pastel! Oh, it's time for another pastel. A ritualistic pastel. How many pastels pastel have you eaten, dude? Just the two. Uh, three. You f***ing weirdo. I must have put over a dozen. Well, I'm talking. I'm having a good natter. Here's a green one. I don't like the green ones. I wish the green ones were apple instead of Here they are right now. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. I got my pastel. Refuse Review zone. Review zone. Yeah, so we got this little half-length review zone, this issue. Mm. On the facing page is the advert for Marco's Magic Football we saw last issue. Only one review in the review zone, and Mm. it says at the top that um, the reviewer is Nick Protz. You can tell him by the spots, and we found him in the Vicarage Garden. (laughs) And it's Champions World Class Soccer, endorsed by Ryan Giggs. What a name. (laughs) Not World... Not Ryan Giggs Champions World Class Soccer. I know. (laughs) And this led me to go and find out why not. Same. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's because... um, It had a different footballer on the cover depending on where you bought it, be that Mm. Britain, Germany, or France. So, yeah, this game is just called Champions World Class Soccer, but depending on where you live, it might be endorsed by somebody. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, that's it. It's Champions World Class Soccer, like, around the world, Yeah, but it's just in Britain it was endorsed by Ryan Giggs. It was like, yeah. In Germany and France it had uh, different footballers from those regions on the cover. God, it must take them so much effort to come up with new names for soccer games at this point. They're getting so more prefixes and suffixes all over them. Well, you remember whenever we first heard about Pete Sampras tennis in the uh, in the news zone, and it was just called tennis because they hadn't secured <laughs> Pete Sampras's sponsorship yet. When you were finding out about the international versions of this game, did you find out the amusing thing about the translation? Of course I did. We both went to Wikipedia and moved no further than that. Apparently, if you set the game's language to German, the translation for penalty should be, and you'll know where it's going just when I say it, Scheißen, which means to shoot, 
And that is S-C-H-I-E-S-S-E-N. Oh, dear. And were it that you accidentally got the E in the I the wrong way around on screen, <laughs> you would end up with a game that just says in the middle of the screen in big letters now and then. And that's what they did. You can tell that the Wikipedia article for this game has not been subject to judicious review or, or edition. Because... I do feel we need to read out the sentence verbatim. This is because there's nothing interesting in the review. If you set the game's language to German, the translation for penalty will be Scheißen to sh which is a spelling mistake of Scheißen to shoot. It's just a to sh in brackets. <laughs> Two things I enjoyed about this review is the scabby screenshots, <laughs> which is just something that you always forget about. And the old football game war of trying to play any country in the United Kingdom and being faced with Britain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Nick Protz is slamming this game. He doesn't like it. Does slamming mean saying bad things about? Yes. I'm going to assume it does. And I looked it up, right? And what... So look, I don't know much about football, but I know what I like. <laughs> but I know enough to know that nobody, no single person on the pitch is the main player. It's about where everyone is and the ball yeah. being passed between them in advantageous ways. So this game, I don't know how to play this game because, like, believe it or not, these scabby little screenshots, which are... It's so egregious the way that they're arranged on the page in what is obviously different, like... <laughs> like stencil shapes that they had in the software there's a big hexagon one i don't well, mean I like hexagon. that because it feels like they've yeah was it one two three four five six, pentagon it does look like they've maybe done that to make you think of a football it doesn't make me think of a football <laughs> you know like the, the, the patterns on a football yeah, i suppose you're right actually yeah they've definitely been supplied like seven really bad stills from mm. the publisher uh, to <laughs> be <laughs> honest i wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe only a four <laughs> yeah and they've just, yeah yep. you know some of these noticeably lower res ones weren't potentially all cropped out of the same uh, screenshot yeah. <laughs> they're obviously enlarged from something and it might even be a photograph of a tv screen from some of the way the the interlacing mm. looks but okay look at the I'm just, I'm gonna get rid of this pastel um they're really really zoomed in so it's difficult to see what's going on but if you look at the one sort of in the middle at the bottom next to the graphic sound and playability equalizers oh, yeah. yeah that rectangular one Believe it or not, that is an almost complete look at the screen. It is cropped to widescreen, but that's it. So you're really, really zoomed in all the time. And you can only see, like, your player that you're currently being, who's, you know, sort of almost like a quarter of the screen tall. And then the player's immediately closest to you. When I watched a YouTube video of this game, I saw the player punt the ball across the pitch to another player. That's what you do in football. And although he did get it directly to another player... As the camera followed the ball, there was like a whole screen of green in between. I have no idea how he figured out where to punt it over to. I can only imagine the player must have been... There's a little inset map of the whole pitch all at once. So he must have been looking at that, the little inset map, to see where his team was going. But that updates at a much lower frame rate than the rest of the game. So, like, I don't know how you could play this. And according to Nick Protz, don't. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it still gets the quote-unquote terrible score of 65%, which, <laughs> as we all know, 6 out of 10, total sh**. Yep. I do enjoy the bottom left screen grab. Tripping. Tripping. 
<laughs> the game does include tripping. <laughs> Again, though, a nice review from Nick Protz, one of the more recent additions to the review zone stable of reviewers yeah. who has not been ground down by the process yet and just given up and started listing the features of the options menu. <laughs> Actually oh, yeah. here to give us a real opinion on the game. Proper review. Good read. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good one. I guess the good thing about a football game is you probably could play it for about 20 minutes and then get a good feel for it. (laughs) In the uh, Fast Facts box, the raves are a pick of Ryan Giggs on the box. (laughs) And the graves are where to start. Just some adverts. Just a page of adverts. Richie, have a look at this. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. what stories are they? It's the first two videos. Looks like it's the first couple of episodes. That's the first two. Okay, so what we've got here is a full page of the Power Rangers. Standing there, oh, yeah. hands on hips, in the control center, looking all sparkly, big logo, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the ultimate superheroes are here, as seen on TV. Because what we've got here is two action-packed videos released on the 1st of August 1994. I mean, that was at the point where they would only pick, like, special episodes to put them on tape. They wouldn't... Yeah, in those days, when stuff for kids would come out on video, it was often just random ones. But I don't know what happened in 1993, (laughs) or if it had already happened and I just wasn't paying attention, but both The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and Power Rangers seemed to start releasing in order. So I can remember being in Children's World at one point, looking at the wall of videos they had there, and like, there was loads of Power Rangers videos out. You could, it was like, you know, with X-Files or something, you could just buy the series on video, like Star Trek or whatever. I mean, there are only two episodes per each of these oh, videos. Yes. I know oh. Day of the Dumpster is the first episode of Power Rangers, so I yes. assume High Five, Teamwork, and Oppressing Engagement are episodes two through four. Dave, you seem like you know. Those are the first four episodes. There and we I'm go, then. I'm pretty sure they stayed that way. I think they came out in the right order. Eight ninety nine for 45 minutes. Like, Oh, we were happy to pay it. It was Power Rangers. <laughs> Myself and my brother eagerly skipped down to Woolies or Children's World or wherever it was. We went to pick that one up, and it was so exciting for us to watch the first one because like I don't know you know we'd been watching it eagerly and excitedly and then here you get to see how the band got together which we had watched on TV at the time but we just didn't care when it started you know yeah the correct attitude now we cared now we had the toys we had deluxe megazord now and we had the um, you know uh, did we have deluxe megazord by now I think we did no maybe not editor and toy collector Sam here it looks like the deluxe megazord was released in America in 1993 just one year after Daisujin was released in Japan don't know what the Brits did with that though Go, go, Power Rangers. But we certainly have the figure of the Egypty one. You know, the Egypty one. I regrettably Egypty know monster. his name is King Sphinx. That's him, I yes. apologize to our listeners. King Sphinx. I don't know how it is that I know that. I don't apologize for a moment. We're not about to, <laughs> on, on Sonic the Comic the Podcast, are we about to get embarrassed about what we know about 1994 children? Listen. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll entirely own up to having fallen for the Power Rangers craze. I remember when, it, when the advert came on TV, I was dead against it. I was like, what's this? It looks like a load of balloons being slapped into each other. This looks awful. And then as soon as it came on, it was just, oh, oh. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all different colours. They've got magic suits. They they have a big robot. It can turn into stuff. Yeah. Oh. For me, my experience with the Power Rangers was hellish because it was always on during the school holidays on uh, GMTV. Yes. But because I lived in Scotland, mm. our school holidays were out of sync with yours. Oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there was lots of just like leaving the video player on in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this is, but for some reason, actually that was true where I lived as well, which was in the Midlands. And I, and that was oh. it was well it was something that was talked about a lot. I think that for whatever reason just the Midlands school board had a different set of holidays to London. So, yeah, Wackaday was never on at the right time. You, it, <laughs> it did not sync up. Sometimes there'd be overlap. So you'd have like if there was a let's say it was a, an Easter holiday where you sometimes were lucky enough to get two weeks, one of those weeks would have Whack-A-Day in it, but it didn't quite cross over with what London was doing or something like that. So very frustrating. This is why our generation are so skilled at programming video yeah. recorders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very good at it. It's a wonder yeah. our parents didn't, you know, routinely screw it up by wanting to tape some other nonsense that they wanted instead of Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> the news or whatever parents watch. Oh, I've just noticed. I want, I'm going to read this out before we move on. On sale now. Hey, there's at, no list of stores. There's no list of stores, but there is on sale now at all good video stores. Or order your copy now on 0733232800. No mention of who that is. Doesn't say no, who just, you're calling. Just ring this number. Just call. So call that, listeners. Just call that. 0733232800. See what you get. Do not call that number. No, because <laughs> because that's been retired. The code's changed. It's now 01733232800. Legally, we cannot advise you to phone this number. <laughs> okay, so th- this this next comic, I am completely lost. Because <laughs> I have no memory of Mutant League at all. Mutant League. Mutant League. Bring Me the Head of Coach Bricker, Part 3. Written by Steve White and Brian Williamson. Art by Anthony Williams and Brian Williamson. Letters by Tom Frame. The Midway Monsters and the Razor Kid use an armed response vehicle to blast their way through the opposing lineup on their mission to recover Coach Bricker's head. But the tank only gets them so far before it's torn to pieces. Luckily for the monsters, the Razor Kid's fan club rushes the pitch and overwhelms the opposition for a chance to get close to their idol, giving the heroes their chance to escape. I have to admit I wasn't quite as taken with this chapter of Mutant League as I have been with the last two. No, it's sort of a bit of going on, isn't it? It seems like for the first two pages, just like last issue, we're using both those pages to just recap what's happened already, recap the plot. Dalgor Prague and his henchman, Dr. Wiz, is it? Dr. Wiz? Yes, Dr. Professor Wiz, I'm sorry, he would be very offended. Talking about how they're going to use Coach Brick's head to program their army of robots. We don't get into new action until page three. But mm. th- this one isn't interrupted by a commercial break in the middle like last issue was. <laughs> I mean, it's still fun. Yeah. And I think by the end of this one, they are now off the pitch and some other story aspects can come in in the second half. Oh, right. Oh, that'll be interesting. Although generally the point of this comic is to just muck about. Yes. The idea is there's some sort of sports going on, but really everything's just silly. Yeah, I feel like the whole thing is this whole chapter centers around just this joke about the fan club yeah being like a weaponized fan club basically yeah and that's fun i wasn't sure what's going on on the next page where yeah clearly the artist has drawn a joke where they get out a snot covered hanky but in the Mm. script it's just sweat stained i wonder if that got edited later for being gross or something well i don't know i mean he is a monster you don't know what color his sweat is that is true (laughs) i've got a minor criticism and i've got Mm. a pastel in my mouth i've got my pastel Minor criticism of the lettering. Go on. Page three. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a great big sound effect completely covered up by the art because it's all done in black. It's a black sound effect in the bottom left oh, panel. Goodness, I never, I genuinely never even noticed it was yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. As someone rips open the tank thing that they're all hiding in or whatever it is, 
It kind of says scrunch or something, but most of the letters of scrunch written in black are hidden by the black shadowy ceiling of the tank thing that they're in. Yeah, they do look like they've just not been finished. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be a get. Well, if you look even in the previous panel, you can sort of see the transparency of the lettering isn't yeah. 100%. So, yeah, there's some kind of goof there. Like maybe if you look on the fourth page, you see a sound effect rumble that has a white border around it perhaps it was supposed to have that and that oh, yeah. uh, that effect is just missing so sorry about that tom frame it's the only time i've ever had to <laughs> criticize you so you're doing well this issue does sort of introduce us to another character who will carry along through the, i mean he's technically been there the whole time but another member of the midway monsters called grim who is just incredibly fatalistic and a lot of fun oh is this the the whinging skeleton yes yes yeah they're trundling along in the tank and brenda bricker coach bricker's daughter says uh, you know we'll catch up to daddy's head in no time in this tank thingy and grim says uh don't go counting no chickens yet brenda we're heavily outnumbered <laughs> low on fuel almost out of ammo and the weather forecast is for rain <laughs> <laughs> Where have you got that voice from? I don't know, it just seems... <laughs> I think while I barely managed to get a hold on what was going on in this comic, given that this is my starting point, I think one of the things that unlocked in my brain for me was just the tone of British kids' yeah. humour from when we were kids. Like, it reminds me of stuff yeah. like Around the Bend. It just has that look of comics from that era as well. And I love, like, the the severed flying fingers and the just the gross-out humour. And the it reminds me of, like, a lot of that stuff that we loved that I just completely forgot about, but just tonally what it was yeah. back then. Stuff like Around the Bend and, like, the sketches and yeah. What's Up yeah, Doc yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. There isn't much to say about this. It's just a few pages of silly fun during a sport and i'll say this i don't feel as if i'm having to force my way through a sport comic <laughs> well there you go I'll truly give it no up. higher praise <laughs> it's the logo is the mutant league comic logo is that the same as it is in the game because it was very 2000 ad isn't it no the the logo there is i've just looked it up it's nothing like the one on the game at all oh, right okay. <laughs> okay the word league is done in the hollywood font which looks kind mm. of vaguely sporty and then mutant is like you know blood and gutsy looking slimy letters so yeah no it's someone's just put that together in whatever software they used to use in those days it's funny like stc for me is there's a lot of comics based on games that i just never played oh yeah same 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 yeah like, i've never played decapitech never played it don't bother News they feel like they're reaching to fill the news zone again because we basically just got... It's our usual double-page spread, but it's just two stories. Yeah. One about Pitfall, the Mayan adventure, coming to the Mega Drive and Mega CD. And then one about Lemmings 2, coming to the Master System and Mega Drive. Yeah. Uh, both by Gary Penn this time. I think he's the regular news zone writer at this point. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's always been. They've only just started crediting him recently. Uh-huh, maybe, maybe. Pitfall, the Mayan adventure on the Mega Drive. This was... A conscious attempt to essentially, you know, like the Tomb Raider reboot or something. This was a reboot of the series for the Mega Drive, full-on 16-bit graphics. And what they did was they got in an animation team called Croyer Films, who made Fern Gully, as it happens, uh -huh. they mention that here, to basically give it the same treatment that uh, Virgin did for Aladdin. And that's what it looks like when you have a look at the game. It looks like Pitfall via the Mega Drive Aladdin game. Um, although, the people at Croyer swear that they didn't know about the Aladdin game hmm. and weren't just copying it or anything. Although, 
I don't know. I can feel my chin itching a little bit as I read that because <laughs> it was out for like a year already and it's, it was really famous and they they had ex-Disney animators on their team. They'd have known. I mean, it looks well in these few screenshots. I didn't bother looking up any video of it. It does look good. It looks good. And I, and I, I think the general impression of it that people had was that, yeah, it's fine. It's a good game. I like that they filled out the article then with uh, screenshots of the previous Pitfall games. Yeah. It's, it's a nice little bit of an article that's really like, hey, here's the history of this brand. Yeah. I just, again, like I enjoy the style of writing for games writing in that period. Pitfall was first released on the Atari 2600 console, Ask Your Granddad, and then converted <laughs> to computers, including the Commodore 64, Ask Your Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. And then Lemmings 2. <laughs> Now on the Amiga, <laughs> we're going to have to get a jingle for that one. Put together. <laughs> We'd had Lemmings 2 for a while. Um, hmm. That was my summer of 93 game. You weren't very far off of Lemmings 3, were you? No, although I never got Lemmings 3 because it looked like a bit of a wet, floppy ovary sort of a Lemmings game. Yeah. I mean that it flopped over, you know, but Lemmings 2, I think a lot of people think that way about Lemmings 2, but not me. Either it was fantastic, because what they did, the, the gimmick of Lemmings 2 was we'd already had Lemmings and Oh No More Lemmings, which was the, you know, Mario and Lost Levels of Lemmings, so they were both exactly the same. And you had, I can't remember how many it was, I'm going to pull a number out of the ether, 10 kinds of lemming you could turn them into. Oh, you might be really young. Lemmings was a game where a <laughs> load of little stick men came out of a thing and walked around forever and you had to click them to give them tasks to do out of a set list of things so if they were about to fall over an edge you could give them uh you could call, you could make them floaters which meant they opened an umbrella and sort of drifted down or you could make them dig and so on and you had to get them to a particular point on the map well lemmings 2 went right instead of cleverly designing levels around these particular abilities we're going to just come up with millions of new moves for them to have so like we never have to worry about designing a level around moves we can just design the moves around the level and I think a lot of people saw foul in that and didn't like it but I loved it it meant that there was all sorts it meant that I could design my own lemmings levels just on paper for fun just come up with cool stuff to turn lemmings into just on the fly super lem was my favorite from the game the lemming unzipped his body and turned out to be a superman <laughs> went flying off and you had to blow him around with your mouth cursor became a little fan now how you played that on a controller on a mega drive I couldn't possibly begin to tell you yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but it came out. It happened. I've never played Lemmings 2. Because obviously Lemmings on the Mega Drive, the first one, it was straightforward enough. Yeah. Still a bit of a pain to play with a controller because they have, you know, you've that thing where you're holding the button and it's like my controller is moving yeah. when you're yeah, supposed to be able yeah, to just yeah. mouse over and mouse over quickly. I really only remember playing it on the computers in the school lab at lunch and stuff. Oh, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we had no such thing. I mean, I didn't have it at home, you know? And I suppose it probably wasn't the original. I don't know which version it was. It probably was. It would have been considerably later than 94, you know? There weren't many Lemmings games, honestly. It probably was the first one. Mm. Because there was only Lemmings. There was Oh No More Lemmings, which nobody knew about. There was, like, Christmas Lemmings, which was a demo disc. And then there was Lemmings 2. And then there was Lemmings 3, which was like, now there's... So Lemmings 2, The Tribes, the way it works is that you've now got 12 different kinds of lemming. And so there's like shadowy ninja lemmings, Egyptian lemmings, 
ice lemmings things like that and it just it just means there's a different theme for certain levels but you've got all these different kind of lemmings they've each got their own music that goes with that and you are just doing a load of lemmings levels with that tribe and then the idea is that you collect the pieces of the talisman and it then you've won the game lemmings three reduced that down to like three tribes of lemmings and that just seemed like such a downgrade and i think they were bigger as well i don't think they were the beautiful little pixely stickman guys with their bouncing hair anymore that was perfect my favorite part of this whole two-page spread is the short bursts. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like in there? Just <laughs> hearing the news that a game's being made of Animaniacs, that's fun. Yeah. But my favorite is going through, th- was it three different developers here? And at the bottom, we've got US Gold. <laughs> now, it's given us a bit of news for US Gold that they're not, we don't know what they're doing and they haven't got anything coming out. <laughs> but they do, <laughs> they do have a research department, though. So it's just this US Gold Sega releases have been a bit thin on the ground, but that's likely to change, at least for 16-bit, 32-bit, and beyond. Now that the Birmingham-based publisher has set up its own research and development department, the idea is to create original games for as many formats as possible, but specific details have yet to be revealed. Cool, guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, they've obviously sent out some kind of press release yeah. to try and get hype, but not for anything. Or either, either that's someone at the comics just phoning. You know a guy at US Gold. Look, we can't tell you anything. <laughs> Where are you at down there? What, what are you going on? Okay, artists and young people, let me explain what US Gold was. Back in the specky days, right? Back in the old, the old, old days, when games were really just not established as a thing, a guy went, okay, I've heard that there are games out in America. They're not out here. And what he did was he went round to, um, he went round to some shop that he knew about locally, and he went, right, there's a computer game company, and uh, they're making games, and I'm their official distributor. He wasn't. I'm their official <laughs> distributor. They'd never heard of him. Um, sh- can I get a contract off you to stock their games here? And that shop went, uh, <laughs> yeah? So then he phoned up that company, and he went, uh, I've got a license here. I've got a shop asking uh, for me to distribute your games to them. So can you send me a shipment of your games and I'll give you a cut? And that company went, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then US Gold was born. And their wow. whole thing was that they just got games that were made in America and brought them out here and just distributed them. Before long, they were partnering up with, you know, they sort of, it's not that they bought companies like ocean necessarily perhaps they did but they certainly were in bed with them and so all of these companies that you've heard of who were bringing out games on the spectrum were kind of partnered with this company and they arranged among themselves who would bring out what kind of game so companies that appeared to be rivals in the 80s home computer scene in the uk were actually all kind of working together and sharing profits out among themselves they eventually got to the point where the gaming industry was becoming international anyway so there was no need for that so they went oh we'd better start developing our own games and that's what this news is it's them i guess <laughs> trying to get a foothold trying to establish themselves as a developer you've heard of now i don't know because i didn't have time to watch all of the kim justice video about it before doing this whether they actually ever did that or not i think they did bring i mean it was only about two less than i think maybe two years after this that they were absorbed by idos so I guess they probably did have time to get a few games out in 95 and 96, but... Uh, there you are. I mean, and everybody was. I do love how much the 80s British video game scene was just taking the piss. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of dudes that kind of sort of knew what they were doing, maybe. Yeah. I'm so sad that it's that it's gone away. <laughs> I, I wish you could still do that stuff. <laughs> well, hopefully the news zone will keep us abreast of that. <laughs> 
Have we ever had any corporate raiding talked about in the news zone before? <laughs> companies being absorbed by other companies. I can't think, apart from that mention of evil business magnate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who was, it, who was the evil businessman they talked about that one time? Well, it was Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell, that was it, yes. <laughs> Compo! Win! A mountain bike! Grab a piece of the action and bike into summer! If it's action you're into this summer, why not get out and mountain bike? There's some rough terrain to be had out there, and still plenty of the summer left to enjoy it. If you haven't got a bike, here's your chance to win one of two Halfords Apollo Chaos mountain bikes. Or Apollo Nitro for girls, which are up for grabs. I looked it up. I, I, I'd heard that there was a difference between boys' bikes and girls' bikes. Yeah, one was blue and one was pink. <laughs> and, but I was sure I'd heard there is a physical difference between how they're made. I don't know what the difference is, but I've heard the same thing. And I found out what it is. Oh, what is it? It's that on a boy's bike, uh, but I found out why. This is what I'd already heard, but I found out why. On a boy's bike, you've got the bit where the pedals are that goes up to the bit where the handlebars are, and it forms a triangle like that, doesn't it? That's uh-huh. the frame of a bike. Yes. On a girl's bike, you have the back bit that's got the seat on it, the front bit that goes to the handlebars, and then a much lower down like bit. So it doesn't make a triangle. It makes a different shape. And that's because... It's unladylike to make a girl lift her leg as high as a boy has to to get on a bike. And to that I say, well, why don't we all just have the lower down one so we don't have to wang our leg right up into the air every time when we get on a bike? I realise I did know that because at some point in my childhood I was riding a girl's bike and didn't know until someone slagged me off. Uh, (laughs) Is it still true? I don't know. Is that still true of bikes today? Good question. Don't know. So this competition, anyway, this is not a Sonic the Comic competition, is it? This no. is This is basically just an ad that is a competition. This is a Halfords advert co- that's yeah. mass-produced. Halfords Artists is a cars and bikes bits shop. Send your answers on a postcard to... Weirdly, it's a weird address. Send it off to Mandy. Amanda Jones, Halford's Press Office. <laughs> you, know, you don't send your letters to the STC offices. No, no. You send them to Halford's. So yeah, it's there's no question this was in various magazines. You don't even send it to Halford's. You send it to Mandy. You send it to Halford's. Amanda Jones. The specific office that she's in. <laughs> the middle of this page is a comic in which you've got a couple of boys playing a computer game and then they get zapped into the screen and now there's oh, all no. baddies and there's some bikes and they can get on the bikes and that's how they're able to escape. And that... <laughs> it's just a six-panel grid, a three comic. across, two down of this happening. <laughs> but above that comic, before you read the comic... <laughs> yeah, you're asked questions about it. It's, it's one of those competitions, it's a reading comprehension, yeah. essentially. You have to answer questions about the thing you just read, except... But I would argue that a proper reading comprehension quiz means that you read the thing, and then, and then it gone away, the someone asks you what yes. you just read about. This tells you before you've read it what you're looking for. <laughs> yes. And the question is, A, what were Tom and Hal doing at the beginning of the story? B, how did they escape from their enemies? Here's what you have to do to win one of these great prizes. Just answer the following questions by looking again at Hal and Tom. We haven't, we yeah, haven't looked yet. It's like still the layout it. was supposed to be different. Yeah. <laughs> they had their copy, but the designer didn't put it together in a sensible way. <laughs> so there you go. You can win a bike. Do you think there's a psychology to that? Because obviously all those competition questions in those in magazines and stuff were always that easy. And do you think mm. it was always meant to be just as a kid you go, that's easy, I can get a bike really easily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. By answering this easy yeah. question. I never understood what the benefit was, though. Like, I mean, oh yeah, they didn't get anything. For, it's not like 
phone call stuff where money has to be spent. All you're spending is this price of a stamp. It's Yeah, because what you would think it would be is bring these tokens in to Halfords, which means that your dad has driven you to Halfords and now your dad's in Halfords. <laughs> They've got him now. <laughs> I do love the idea of a child being like, Mom, can I go to Halfords? Can I go to Halfords? <laughs> I want to look at the windscreen wiper blades. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what all could you win here? These bikes, these mega Shimano gear mountain bikes with stunning graphics Woo. will be kitted out with the latest gadgets, water bottles to quench the thirst during a tough ride, a three function cycle computer to check your speed and how far you've trekked and a stylish track cycle helmet to complete the prize. So I guess you get you get all of that. I, for one, can vouch for the stunning graphics. There's a picture <laughs> bottom left of a boy on a bike, and it looks like a photograph. Well, it's the real life. <laughs> Amazing. What do Sonic fans like? Moving and graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Five lucky runners up will also win a cycle computer. And by the way, if you're picturing, like, now that we've mentioned the graphics, if you're picturing a bike covered in, you know, flames and stuff, no, it's just red. <laughs> I can't really see any like any art on it at all. There's something printed on there. Yeah, on the there's like a logo bar. printed on the, the top. Logo, bar. but yeah, but it could be stunning. You don't know. It's not. It could high be stunning. Resolution to ten. <laughs> yeah, 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 it could be. Graphic zone. And on the facing page, we've got the graphic zone. This is becoming more regular, isn't it? It is. Yeah. A dedicated. This is a bike. Oh, it's a bikes theme. It's graphic a bike zone. Graphic zone. I'm only getting it yes. now to go along with the. So it's sort of a double page spread of bikes stuff. Mm. See, this will become common. We've seen it already in the last couple of issues with the football-themed ones and yeah. everything, but graphic zones would quite often be themed in some capacity mm. because child minds just work alike. So a lot of similar themed pictures would be made. Yeah. Mostly, uh, oh no, an, an even spread of bikes to motorbikes, actually. Mm. No, tell a lie. No, that They're top one is a motorbike. It's just <laughs> it's just not a very cool-looking motorbike. <laughs> no, it does look a bit like a big wheel, doesn't it? The one in the bottom is Sonic in some sort of tie-dye tracksuit. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I assume it's a tie-dye race driver suit. <laughs> yeah. Because he's got a full helmet on that seems to have a magnifying effect on his face because it's way too big for the helmet. <laughs> like a big Coke bottle visor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Richard Ling and Hitchin has drawn uh, Sonic the Hardhead, which is... Oh, oh, now. So he's yeah, got the... this helmet on. Above his head, he's got his name, Sonic, Sonic. And then below, on the bottom half of the helmet, it says, Get out of my way. Hey, so it does. <laughs> That's the Sonic attitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I quite like Richard McConnell in the bottom left. I'm saving top left for last, because it's mm. my favourite. Bottom left, we've got Sonic hairing towards us on his bike just a pedal bike i think and that's, mm. is that a motorbike as well i i think it's a motorbike i think they're all supposed to be motorbikes he's wearing leather jacket he and is. shades for goodness sake which now i grant you was just a symbol of cool in the 90s and mm. not something that would be too unusual to see a kid drawing sonic wearing but by that same token surely you would put him on a motorbike not just a pedal bike exactly there's nothing cool about sonic on a pedal bike <laughs> he's got his sunglasses on he's got flames coming out behind him like a big cape presumably the exhaust from the bike is yeah. fire <laughs> and also his spines are like this kid has attempted to draw his spines from the front no mean feat but he's drawn it in a way that looks like a proper punk hairdo just 
thin spikes poking out. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Is it deliberate or not? Exactly. Did he go, I'm going to draw a punk hairdo Sonic, or did he just try and draw Sonic and it looks like a punk hairdo? I don't know. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. On the right, we've got two different style guide versions of Sonic on two different <laughs> motorbikes. We have the Greg Martin Sonic from the uh, cover of the game's top right on a, on a red Sonic Suki. Ryan Richardson from Exeter has delivered that one. And below, uh, Nicola Jennings. Oh, we've got a she-boomer. <laughs> <laughs> a boomat. <laughs> she will have looked exactly the same as us, but with a bow. And, uh, <laughs> and and she's drawn a very good... Um, yes, I, I think this one's my favourite. This is great. It's a really good drawing, both of a motorbike, which is not easy to not draw. Not no mean feat, yeah. And the Sonic 2 Japanese-style guide that uh, what's-name used to draw from. What was his name? Theron Rodriguez. It's ju- really good perspective on this. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good three-quarters view. And she's fitted Sonic into the bike really well, which is hard. Yeah. And he's got like a Sega tattoo up his naked flesh-coloured arm. Oh, yeah. And a, a wee knee pad. Yeah. Yeah. And in the background, you've got the flapping black and white checkered flag. It says Sega on it. you got a Sonic the Hedgehog logo based on the STC one with attitude. That's great. Yeah, I think it's the most technically accomplished drawing on the page. She's drawn little Sega logos all over this bike, and she's really got them right. And is that you the know? Kawasaki logo at the bottom? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Weird one though, you notice that though. Every everyone is a Mega Drive owner or a Master yeah. System owner or a PC owner, but Nicola Jennings from Accrington is an MS2 user. Oh, and uh, also I've just noticed that uh, she's not Nicola Jennings. She's Nicola Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> there's a letter. There's an I missing there. Nicola Jennings. And then top left from Jeffrey Hammond in Nottingham, we have, and this is the reason I saved this. Tails is just full-on shooting us. I've just realised yeah. he's holding guns. Yeah, I didn't notice it <laughs> he first is either. dual-wielding two pistols. He's got a great big grin on his face. He's got shades on that have, like, Tails-style spikes down the side that look like the fur tufts. The little flicks like Tails has on the little tufts on his cheeks. And he's got a bike behind him that says Rebel Rider and has a cool little, like, silhouette of Sonic on the front of it. And he's just yeah. aiming at us with his leather jacket with the Tails logo on it. I was just going to say, I love this jacket. <laughs> <laughs> he's having the time of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like there's a big um, scorch mark in the ground behind him there where the bikes come roaring up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure what that white thing behind him is. That must be the the door that he's coming through, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. The whole background is the uh, checkerboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's... Do you think that's a Robotnik moustache? Also, I feel like this drawing might be cropped, because look at the bottom right. Oh, definitely. There's something else going on there, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was one of his tails at first, because he doesn't have them. They're missing. (laughs) So he's he's just put them over there. I don't know what to be doing over there, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I forgot to draw his tails on. I'll draw them over here. (laughs) When I see a tuft of orange fleur, I just assume it's tails. (laughs) Oh, I love these. These are great. I'm looking forward to more graphic zones. As always, if any of these are your drawings, yeah. give us a shout. SDCTpodcast at gmail.com or get us on Twitter. Just give us, give us a shout. Give us a shout. Just talk to us, for God's sake. Why won't you ever talk to us anymore? We're so lonely. <laughs> Sonic's World. Cam and Bert barf search and repair operatives in No More Mr. Nicebug Part 2. 
Written by Mark Isles, art by Mike Hadley, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Elita Fell. After scrapping the Trooper Badnik, who allowed the Nicenicks to escape, Cam and Bert set about trying to find the missing motobugs using a synthetic sonic simulation. A sonic balloon that any regular evil badniks will attack on sight. The search doesn't go well until the flaming exhaust of the Barfmobile burns up a field of flowers, and the gentle, flower-loving niceniks who've been enjoying the blossoms seek revenge. What do you make of this, Richie? <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sonic's world is definitely like when you're looking at it, you're going, "Couldn't this just be more Sonic?" I know. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> it's it's the two. It's the two main characters. Yeah. What about these two main characters is remotely Sonic? <laughs> yeah. It just feels so off-brand. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I ever fully, really, really, really realised that before. But, but yeah, not only do they not look anything like they fit into this world whatsoever, they're not even two animals that we ever really see Sonic versions of. <laughs> yeah. They're, it, it just feels like it comes from nowhere and nothing this bull looks so sort of detailed and a bit more realistic than yeah your standard sonic animal affair than you would ever want yeah do you remember <laughs> this by the way from back in the day i no i don't <laughs> i do because i remember resenting it oh you know what i remember barf as soon yeah. as i saw the acronym bar yeah just about to treat myself to another pastel i got my pastel here they are right now which once again we must note the acronym, as with last issue, there's yep. a footnote within the body headline of the text to tell you what BARF stands for. Then, by the end of the first page, it's also been spelled out in a second identical footnote within the context of the story, too. <laughs> yeah. Again. There are one, two, three, four footnotes in this four-page comic, including <laughs> the one in the uh, title bar, and three of them are on the first page. <laughs> Oh, I've got a lovely red pastel here. Yum, yum, yum. That's, that's offsetting some of the camembert. <laughs> actually, to be honest, now, I don't mind this one as much as the first one because... No, it's fine. It actually makes a bit more sense, just generally speaking. The, the dialogue doesn't have that weird disconnectedness that the first chapter did. No, although it does have some. There are a couple of bits where... Wouldn't be a Mark Isles strip without one. <laughs> I don't know if the artwork necessarily agrees with the script a couple of times. <laughs> like on page four. Look what they've done to Sonic the Hedgehog. What have they done to Sonic the Hedgehog? Well, they think that the Sonic Sim is Sonic the Hedgehog. They think the deflated balloon must be Sonic's shriveled corpse. Oh, okay. So, the, okay. <laughs> so the two, I'm referring to the two nice Nicks flying along, and they can see Camembert. And now you say that, I can see that the little orange blob is in his hand it, yes. is, I guess the sonic balloon deflated but you can't see it in the panel so that that took me by surprise well if you've been listening to the podcast you know this is a recurring element in mark isles scripts we've had character pairings with funny names like schwartz and egger and lauren and hardy there doesn't seem to be a direct reference with the, the fact that the two nice nick motobugs are called mm. bim and bomb the thing that makes me chuckle is bim and bomb sound like they would be names for buzz, buzz bombers, bombers. Yeah. which these are but except they're not supposed yeah. to be apparently you know, again, as we noticed last issue, the script calls for motobugs, but Mike Hadley has drawn buzz bombers. Now, tell me about this, Chris. Mm. In the first panel, as we're recapping what's going on, the caption says the first of the... No, the second of the asterisks, if you count the one mm. in the title. Last episode, Sonic turned two destructive badnik motobugs into nature-loving nice-nick motobugs. 
Did he? Did Sonic do that? Well, that's it. It was really, really unclear because on panel, the device just destroyed the motobugs. Yeah. But Cam and Bert did confirm that it infected their systems with a virus. Yes, quite But right. then Cam and Bert got through repairing the destroyed motobugs and suddenly two weren't there. And it really was really unclear when they got reprogrammed, if they were rebuilt, if they were destroyed in the first place. They just weren't there. Those are the two motobugs that are being searched for in this issue. Right. I like this first panel when they're they're tearing apart the uh, the trooper Badnik. See, its forearm is trying to walk away on its fingers. In the <laughs> oh, <background>. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Okay, that's, that's good. good. So we have the two <laughs> motobugs just sniffing a flyer. And one of them goes, this flower is so... Flowery bomb. That's 982 perfect flowers we've seen today. Let us go and look for another one, Bim. And then a third motobug comes screaming through, <laughs> burns up the flowers in its exhaust. What are you doing? You flattened that flower! Flower killer! Vegicide! We must make him pay, Bim! And then they they get on either side of this third guy and smash sandwich him and smash him and i do i do love this panel for reasons i can't properly explain on the final page of the damaged third motobug limping away <laughs> if it was meant to be a motobug like they're obviously trying to draw the buzz bomber running over a flower from the air yeah yeah i, I didn't think about it yeah because last issue we did kind of talk about how the script seemed to be calling for flying badniks but yeah you're right the, yeah. the, imp the implication really is more of a car chase isn't it the thing has run over the flower yeah, with yeah, its yeah. big nasty wheel and then they uh they sandwich it in a car chase richie thank you so much for explaining that to me because when i was reading this i was ever so confused as to what was supposed to be going on because yeah what happens is a flying badnik essentially swoops towards some flowers and sort of scatters them but they're treating it as if it had been yeah a big trundly thing that had scrunched them up so was was there anything specific about the last episode then chris that made us think that they needed to be flying I don't recall at this point. I haven't held this one in my memory. It <laughs> doesn't leave much of an impression, does it? Oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I mean, clearly... I think there's only one part left. Some sort of breakdowns happened, either in the communication or when the artists have been doing it, they've realised that it obviously just looks better with flying badness. Well, the funny thing is, though, this isn't the first time no. this artist made this mistake no. in strips before this, where he drew buzz bombers instead of motorbugs. Yeah. It's always been ambiguous whether or not at the script stage they made the mistake or whether it's the artist, you know? Or somebody's got some mislabeled files. Somewhere. Yeah. Not to mention, he is clearly misinterpreting the Buzz Bomber character model. Yeah, it all adds to the slightly off-brand aesthetic of Sonic's world so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels like the, it must have been long periods of no communication and Something then like that, yeah. all the art comes in and somebody says, can we change that? No. No, there's literally an entire page of the wrong badnik here. That's a whole page is going to have to be redrawn. Before we move on, let's take a pastel break, everyone. I got my pastels. Here they are right now. I've been chomping pastels for the entirety of this. Mine are gone, man. Oh, Richard. Well, I'm going to have a lovely red. I've only got a couple left, you Yum. freak. You've probably eaten like oh. five at this point, you weirdo. Oh, look at my bulging pouch. Look at that. Look at that. I'm gonna leave that one in, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here they are right now. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. I got my pastel. Here they are right now. Just a madbird. Just a madbird. Richie, see if you remember this. See if this rings a bell. Uh huh. I was a chinless wonder. Remember this guy? Oh yes, yes. 
This is the idea that the sweets make you chew them so much that they build up the muscles in your... That's right. Yes, I do remember this. This is an advert for fruit pastels with a drawing of a guy who I couldn't find any evidence of it, but this looks to me like a drawing of a claymation character, right? Yes, I remember claymation. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find the advert. He has a sort of angry kid. He's got a sort of an angry kid aesthetic. That's exactly what he looks like. Mm. I wonder if it was the same animator who did it. I bet, mm. do you know, I bet it was. It looks just like that. But it's the thing I was going to mention from the beginning when we were talking about fruit pastels at the start is like obviously the, the advertising in the 90s of fruit pastels the whole thing was that you couldn't put yeah. a fruit pastel <laughs> in your mouth without chewing it. It's not a spanner, it's a pastel in the world. You can't help it, you just can't help it. Mix a gadget, blow a gasket, it chews and goes berserk. You can't help it, you Round trees, fruit pastels. You just can't help. And obviously, it's going for the chewing angle again. And they're right. You can't put a fruit pastel in your mouth without chewing. I, mean, I, I think, think Dave is the aberration. Unless you're Dave, apparently. <laughs> I find it perfectly easy. You just squash it up against the roof of your mouth, and then you've just got flavour in your mouth for as long as it lasts. But no, I'm no, I can't. I, I have to chew in there. Yeah, this is a riff on Charles Atlas. Uh, the character's mm. name is Big Ernie. I was a chinless wonder until I discovered Round Tree's fruit pastels. Simply chew, 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 and pump up that jaw. RRP, 23 pence. 23 of your earth pence. That's how much you put into a packet <laughs> wow. of pastels in those days. But the uh, the real reason we have an advert here uh. is that this incl- he's holding up a yellow pastel in his finger and fore thumb. <laughs> no. And uh, it says, includes for a limited period only, zingy pineapple flavour. Don't delay, pump up today. I had completely forgotten about pineapple flavour. So had I. Until I read this. Yeah. In a sense. And I'll tell you what else. The internet has forgotten about <laughs> yes it because there's no nope. record of it ever existing nope but i can confirm it did mm, i remember it i remember it as soon as i read it mm-hmm. but yeah. well what happened was so for a bit they were just randomly putting pineapple flavored pastels in presumably to try them out see if people like them like back whenever they added blue smarties mm. oh exactly no this was the same it was that was last issue wasn't it oh yeah we did mention that recently didn't we yeah. well I can remember exactly what a pineapple pasta tasted like. It was absolutely lovely, and they should have kept them. (laughs) (laughs) But what they then did... Was it then, or did this come before? But I think this came after. Soon after this, they introduced a few new flavours of pastels altogether. There was... I'm not sure if there was a tropical set, but I think there was. But certainly there was an American flavours one. I struggle now to remember what the American flavours were or why they were American. But I think pineapple might have been one of them. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, you say to me, American flavour, and I, my mind immediately goes to, like, gosh, what would be the American flavours of... I mean, they probably wouldn't be fruit flavours. You say to me, American flavours, and I imagine bubblegum <laughs> and s'mores and <laughs> peanut butter and... Cola. cola. Well, cola's not too uncommon, but cola sounds like a good candid mm. for something like this, yeah. Marshmallow flavor. I think, like, I, I just imagine if they called, if they brought out fruit pastels. Yeah, I, I have no, no, I don't know what you're talking about, but in my mind, I conjure up like a a packet of red, white, and blue fruit pastels, mm-hmm. and they just call it American flavors because of the colors. I don't think it was that, although of course the packaging was designed in that right. way. Um, but then they would be like uh, cherry, yeah, blueberry, yep. and pear, yeah. They'd be red, white, and blue. But Three I, flavors you don't get in a regular bag of pastels. Not ringing a bell. I don't think that's what the flavors were. Maybe there was a kiwi one. No, I don't know. But anyway, they brought these out. Kiwis for tropical. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I think there were a couple of flavors in common. Mango, with the passion ones. fruit, kiwi, pineapple. Yeah. 
Anyway, I don't know, but I bought them a lot. I ate them a lot. They were absolutely brilliant. I am, as ever, devastated that they... Various kinds of sweet, like pastels, opal fruits, brought out better packs of flavour than usual and then just stopped and we're back to the normal boring flavours. It's so disappointing. You wouldn't appreciate them otherwise. You wouldn't hold them in your memory. I'd like to appreciate them now and then, but they stopped. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't done this since the 90s. I completely agree that if they brought them out once every three years, that would be perfect. But they don't. They don't bring them out ever again. So we've only Listen, had... Listen, the... they would bring them out and you would eat them and go, mm, they're not the same. <laughs> yeah, and probably. Then the whole vicious cycle would continue. <laughs> but um, as a... as a, I, You know, I've, fruit pastels are a mainstay of the British sweet. And, uh, I thought you were going to say a mainstay of the Boomer household. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've, I've always enjoyed fruit pastels, but looking at them now with my packet here today, I've always loved the purple ones. I've always loved the red ones. Mm -hmm. The green ones I've always disliked, but that was because I was a whingy kid who didn't like lime-flavoured things. The yellow ones, take it or leave it. I love a lemon. I love a lemon-flavoured thing. Yeah, me too. And the orange ones... Orange one's perfectly nice, but, and this doesn't just go for fruit pastels, some orange sweets have some ingredient in them that I think I'm mildly allergic to because they kind of make my tongue a bit itchy. Mm. So I only like two of the flavours in pastels, whereas the American pastels, <laughs> I love them all. The tropical pastels, loved them all. Was it tropical? What was the other set they did? Orange is always a flavour I'd take or leave. Yeah. It's like the base flavouring of sweeties. And yet they're one of my favourite Melty's newberry fruits. Oh, yeah, I don't know what that is. They're the you get a box for your mum at Easter. They're jellied sweets. You get about six oh, to okay, a tray, gotcha. and they've got a little sugary hard bit with juice inside. You know those ones? Oh well, no, it's funny because now that I think about it, like the orange cream is my favorite. Like in you know, a roses or a quality street or something. Really, I'm not a big fan of fruit creams. Like I don't tend to reach for a strawberry cream, if, but but I love an orange cream. I'll always clear the tin of them first. <laughs> I'm a strawberry cream man, but only when the cream is liquid rather than that oh, kind no, of schmushy. Oh, I sort. like a nice firm fondant no, one. I'm a fondant man. Ugh. I mean, I like them both, but I like a firm one too. Either is good. Roses has the nice liquid cream and Equality Street has the nice firm one. Either one's good. I mean, this is all academic because miniature heroes are the best tin of chocolates. Oh, get lost. <laughs> Have we had this debate on air? <laughs> I was going to say, I think we, we've been recording for about two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? One strip left to go. The best strawberry creams I've ever had were the ones you used to be able to get at the Warner Brothers <laughs> Cinema in Leicester. <laughs> We got an advert for the Sonic Summer Special, which we've seen plenty of times before. The Q-Zone, we will just skip again because it's the set. Funnily, it's the second part of their Eternal Champions special, where they do um, the moves and yep. play guides for Midnight, Shadow, and Xavier. But that's only six of the nine characters they've covered, for some reason. Oh. They're just not doing the other three, I guess. I'm eating a pastel. Yum, 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 yum. Don't put that pastel in your mouth yet, David, because you're going to need your mouth free to express your disgust at our final strip today. <laughs> <laughs> Pirate STC, Part 6, written and drawn by Stephen Bliss, letters by Steve Potter. It's an all-out brawl between the kids and the assembled rank of the baddies, involving earwax monsters, punching yourself in the face, and a large gang of carrot-shooting pigs. The kids hold their own, whereupon Fezhead and Skull, satisfied that they've turned a gang of couch potatoes into capable fighters, enter the action themselves. 
pacifying everyone with love spray and hauling the kids off to take part in the next level. Right. I harbored the delusion <laughs> that this six-part strip started to make sense somewhere along the way. I think maybe you just got dragged into its, its I think world. I did. I think I did. Like, I don't hate this. Do you know? No, neither do I. I quite like this episode. Oh, you, you've got wrapped up in it now. Yeah, well... <laughs> Okay, so the first page is a full-page picture, and I... Yeah, you don't see many of them. And I like it. The guy right at the bottom here, the one who's pulling Dog apart, love that drawing. That's great. Oh, uh, what's that fella's name? Uh, Kebab Van. Oh, my God. Okay, what's that <laughs> a joke the... about? That's a joke, surely. I, it just It's just funny sounding. But it sounds like if he was doing a parody of Batman and he called it Kebab Van or something, you know? I mean, I don't know. He doesn't look like a Street Fighter character, so... Mm. No. It's just a big naked bloke with a sort of green It might mohawk. be, but it doesn't strike me as anything. No. Um, Maybe they've just named him after what they reckon his favourite eatery is. Just because he's a big fella. He's probably just named it after where he happened to be sitting when he drew the comic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy who, and I don't confess to remember who this person is, but there's a character here who, over the first few panels, earwax just starts to, like, anti-grav its way out of his ears. Oh, no, he's spooning it out. No, that's him taking his headphones off. No, that's his headphones off. No, this character's name is Max Earwax. <gasps> there you go. And the earwax comes trailing out of his ears upwards. So this is the one thing you could accuse this <laughs> comic of um, foreshadowing. <laughs> and the earwax <laughs> comes to life as these two kind of toothy snakes. And they start biting people and stuff. I mean, do they? It just looks like they come out and talk. Well, oh no, no, they do. They do bite. At one right. point, one, one bite, of them yeah. talks, and then the other one bites Sackhead's hand. Although it's kind of obscured by the fact that also one of the normal human children is biting that same person. Yes. So it doesn't seem like a weird thing to do. You don't need to be an earwax monster to do it. Yes, yes. Robo Neck is clinging on to Sackhead and trying to pull him off of Kebab Van as he bites into him, but then the earwax monsters bite Sackhead's hand, and he lets go of Kebab Van and goes flying backwards and smashes into Robo Knickknack. I did genuinely laugh at the bit where the Why Not Why Fronts guy that we've already had, yeah. he was brought in to be this sort of final brawler, to be the biggest, hardest guy. He rallies up the other guys. And he comes in and he goes, you ready for a good beating? No? Well, I am! He just starts punching himself in the face over and over again. <laughs> And then the Tronic twin that he was notionally fighting just pokes their head in from the corner of the box and does it like a little address to the audience. Don't try this at home. It is stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> I do like that the tone of this does feel like something that if I was a child and tried to draw a comic, yeah. this is the sort of jokes that it would have. Yeah. But also I really like the, the art style. It has a sort of real Nickelodeon I try. vibe to it. It really reminds me of stuff like Rocco's Modern Life. And Yeah, yeah. There's something a bit different about it this issue i can't tell agreed what it is exactly the, the line is finer i think it yep. doesn't feel like it has the big heavier thicker inks and the consequence of that is yes it looks much more like something out of nickelodeon than past issues have I think. it looks a bit more deliberately done it looks uh, something about that purple background is very nickelodeon yeah. as well yeah I mean, I say background. They're in a void here. He hasn't bothered with any background. <laughs> no. He just coloured them solid purple. But there's something a bit more, like, normal about the cartooning here. Like, that pig who's coming front and centre of the panel on page three. Like, that's just a good drawing of a pig. Like, it, it doesn't fully fit in with the what-on-earth-are-we-looking-at style. And again, the, the guy with the green mohawk that Chris named earlier and I already forgot. That's a well, very... Okay, I'm trying not to say well-drawn because that implies that it previously wasn't well-drawn. But 
it had this what am I looking atness, whereas this one I know what I'm looking at at all times, even though it's ostensibly the same style. I mean, yeah, like the thing that happens across the three panels on the top of the third page where Flame is about to whack Granny 8-Ball with the space hopper and she warns him, <laughs> strike me with that space hopper and I'll turn into a large gang of carrot shooting pigs. <laughs> oh yeah, right, of course you will. And he whacks her with the space hopper. She explodes into a cluster of eight balls. And then the eight balls hatch into pigs who shoot carrots out of their nostrils at flame. So you can't say she didn't warn him. <laughs> I mean, this comic, while well, reading it, for every panel, I'm jumping back two panels to reread <laughs> what brought me there. Yeah. <laughs> There's no sense to it. <laughs> but that's how I felt all the way through this. Like... I'm always like that. What I was doing this time was I was wondering, what's that weird sort of crumply up yellow thing along the bottom of the ice cream in the first panel and the pig panel? There's like a, a weird sort of sausage of yellow running along the underside of the heap of ice cream. Oh, it's a mouth. It's a mouth. Uh, oh, okay. In the pig panel, you see the little daggery teeth poking out of it. It's a, it's a big yellow yes. lip. Because it looks like the pig on the left is just throwing up. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's what I thought it was. That was that was why I noticed this. There was this sausage of something coming out of the pig's mouth. But it's just a coincidence. Oh, but if you look at the bottom left, the panel in the bottom left, you can see the yellow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I understand that it's probably a mouth because of the teeth coming out of it. That was my guess as well, but... How is it a mouth? It's just a sausage of lip. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's the top lip. It's, I mean, it, it's what it looked like in previous issues. A sausage of lip. Right, so instead of a bottom lip, you can just see through to more ice cream and there's a hand coming out of it. It's made of ice cream. What do you want, man? It's a blob. <laughs> it's, a, it's a conglomeration of various ice cream monsters. So its mouth just like is just like a circle of lips on this blob and different bits can come Are through it. Are you really going to get hung up on the anatomy at this point? <laughs> 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 oh, I quite like this issue, to be honest. But, uh, oh, it, you it, have definitely bit... gone full Stockholm Syndrome on Pirate uh, Estes. That's what it must be. That's what it must be. Well, the bit that, that you just read out, the bit about uh, strike me with that space opera, I'll turn into a large gang of carrot shooting pigs, is exactly, I agree completely with Richie, that's... That's the sort of joke you'd put into a comic when you're a kid yourself. Yeah, it's a bit axe cop. Yeah, and until now, I haven't made that connection. I don't feel like the rest of the strip has really no. been like that. No, that no. in particular is just a very random thing that happens exactly as she says it will. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. It's really funny. That's the sort of silly randomness that I think is funny. And the other, up till now, it hasn't been the sort that I quite get. I mean, and all you would need to do to change that would be to remove that speech bubble you know mm. if she didn't forewarn him it would be <laughs> yep. exactly in keeping with the tone yep. of the whole rest of the serial it's the fact she forewarns him and clearly yep. establishes what's gonna happen if he does it <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny i did chuckle at the uh, the recap box as well the band-aid bandits they call them that again for whatever reason have been pulled through their tv by the evil fez head and skull forced to play within video games girl girl wonder and bob Pratt have been frozen in a large <laughs> ice cream blob. <laughs> Kamikaze blob Sackhead, Flame, and Dog, the chicken, are in the process of liberating their freezing friends. Mm, sort of. And the whole thing ends as Fezhead and Skull show up on a big cloud with a big bazooka thing plugged into these two barrels with hearts on and they're shooting everybody with a love spray to basically just end the story quickly <clears throat> yep. by making everybody be friends again. What... What does yeah. it's the vitamin Buddha S rejoice mean? I have no idea. That line has mystified me since childhood. I re <laughs> as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, yeah. I think he's calling 
Fair mm. said, like, the vitamin butter, because he's descending on... <gasps> oh! He's a big guy descending on a cloud, you know. But I think it's supposed to say the vitamin buddhas, because it's him Rejoice. and Skull. Rejoice! Yes. <laughs> but instead of saying, it's the vitamin buddhas, full stop or comma, rejoice, it's come out, it's the vitamin buddha, no punctuation, new line, the letter yeah. S... Full stop, Full stop. Rejoice. So I read it to be either a load of nonsense, yeah. it's the Vitamin Buddha S Rejoice, or, oh, they're spraying us with Vitamin Buddha S Rejoice. But I think you're right. I think yeah. it's meant to be, it's the Vitamin Buddha's Rejoice. Yeah. Because they're on a cloud, which I guess we've decided means it's a Buddha. <laughs> I don't know. And then Fez Head and Skull haul the kids aboard, and they bid for, still under the influence of the stuff. I mean, they do cackle at the final line as all the villains wave goodbye. Goodbye! We love you! <laughs> and then the kids chorus, Bye, ugly mugs! Hope you find the money for the facelift! <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and then it ends, like, on the idea that they're being moved up to the next level, that Fez Head and Skull maybe have been training them for something, and they're, they're moving them onto their greater purpose. The end. Stay tuned. Pirate STC is watching you. And to no one's surprise, they would never do another serial <laughs> of this again. No. And it's not hard. To, like, I have derived <laughs> a measure of enjoyment from this serial, but I can't imagine they were getting a lot of positive letters about it. <laughs> What we got in the speed lines this week? I love how crap the letters are. <laughs> <laughs> I always assume that they're edited down to one question. Mega problem. Dear STC, I own a master system, but I think I'm growing out of it. So I was wondering, should I exchange it for a Mega Drive or a Mega CD? What do you think? That's from Reese Jones, Whitwell, Isle of Wight, MS owner. And he's won a Sonic Water Fun game. That'll do. Uh, tricky question, Reese. Trouble is, a Mega CD can't be used without a Mega Drive, unless you've got a fantastic new but very expensive multi-Mega. Mm. <laughs> so I suggest you start with a Mega Drive and put a Mega CD on your Christmas list. Yep, sound advice. I agree. <laughs> then you've got one here from Stuart Coleman of Croxley Green, who wants to know whatever happened to Echo the Dolphin and if he could return, which is essentially just that letter has been printed as an opportunity to shill for what's coming up. And Megadroid tells him a new series of Echo's Adventures is in the works. And for about a zillion other boomers who have asked, Kid Chameleon, Eternal Champion, Shinobi, and Decapitac are also set for return appearances. Stay tuned. And not to be too tinfoil hat, but do you think that was a real letter? I generally <laughs> do think they're real letters. They just seize their opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. I don't know, yeah, there have been a few where we've been like, eh, I don't know about that one. Because I think if they were doing a fake letter, they would not be able to avoid being a bit wry with the name. Oh, right. of the person sending in the letter they'd, there'd be something a bit jokey about it you know? yeah you're right you're right like that one uh dolphin lungaroon from, yeah, exactly from a few issues ago terrific tattoos dear stc will the tattoos you gave away in issue 22 be available to buy in the shops i think they're ace and that's mark holmes from basil in essex mega drive owner sonic water fun game winner not a chance mark they're exclusive to STC and to all you boomers out there. Mind you, if you want to see more of them, write and let us know. Well, that's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, belated greetings from Michael Hartney of Milton Keynes, Mega Drive and Game Gear owner, who says, Dear STC, and this is the longest one, First of all, I'd like to say happy first birthday. 
I must say, I was surprised not to see mention of it in your previous issue. I am a keen reader, STC, and have collected all of the issues so far. Just received a Mega Drive 2 with Sonic 3 and hope to get some more Sonic games. And uh, Mega Droid replies, Sorry about not giving you forewarning, Michael. It kind of crept up on us too. Those lazy humes even forgot to bake a cake. I seem to remember us feeling something similar. Well, we definitely didn't have a cake. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a cake, that's true. And I'm going to have a pastel now to make up for it. Um, nom, 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 nom. We've got two pieces of art here as well. Um, no name and address for the first one here. Mega Droid the Hedgehog. It's uh, A simple it's concept. Sonic, but with Megadroid's face uh, there. Yep. And that's it. <laughs> I, I do love that thing of like, please contact STC with name and address. Someone's just jammed a drawing in the post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they forgot to put their details on the back. They were in such a hurry to post off this masterpiece of tracing that they've achieved. Oh, I don't know. That doesn't look traced to me. It definitely isn't traced. Yep, it's a, it is a bespoke drawing, although it's clear which two drawings it's a drawing of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, well, similarly, it's also clear which image James Valentine of Crumpsell in Manchester has copied to create this image of the mighty tails. That's right. He's even left a bit of space for the free gift. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's a rather <laughs> wonky emulation of that cover where tails went grrr. Do you think he was tracing it and then the, the paper slipped? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how that cover is because there was a free gift in the corner and so Tails was leaning over in a wonky way. <laughs> right, I see. <laughs> that is it for speed lines, which brings us to the end of the issue. There we and are. And then back where it belongs in the inside back <laughs> cover is the next issue. Uh, who killed Chuck? For what? the answer to this question, don't miss the horrific new series of Decapitac starting next issue. I'm really excited for yes. Decapitac. I, I can't really wait. like that art. Yeah. That Decapitac is oh. really nice. Yeah. Nigel's so good. Plus, free Panini Sonic sticker album. Dave, you yeah, this. Yeah, here we go. That's very exciting. Yes. Amazed that it was that quick. <laughs> Start your collection of these cool new stickers. Yeah. We also have a Sonic 3 Q-Zone special, yeah. Mutant League, Sonic's World, Ooh. and Sonic the Hedgehog and Knuckles. But Ooh. again, the, 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 the teaser image is of a big, extreme close-up. I think it's taken from the cover. Uh, an extreme close-up of Head from Decapitax. Knuckles doesn't even get the next issue box. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. He did get it last issue, but still. <laughs> Knuckles! Knuckles, Knuckles, Knuckles is coming. Grr. Everyone will hear you scream. On sale Saturday the 3rd of September. New price, one fifteen. Oh dear. What even is that as a price? Well, I'm out then. Forget it. <laughs> I do not remember what price STC had risen to by the time I finally tapped out. Like, I didn't tap out for reasons of price. I thought I was growing up. You know, more fool I. I don't remember what price it was by the time that happened. But I think it went up. At least, like, twice more. We'll find out no as we idea. go. Well, I'm going to just finish off my pastel. And then that's it for another episode. We've done another episode. Thanks for coming, Richie. Yeah, thanks. Well, you finish that pastel. I'm going to pop my very last pastel in. <laughs> oh, I made it there last it a whole episode. My very last oh. one goes in. Of course, I just tried to tip it out into my hand. And I just tipped all the spare sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's an important part of a packet of pastels. You've got to get the extra sugar in um, yeah, th thanks very much for having me. That was quite a, a little jog down memory lane. Memory yeah, it was quite a nice nostalgia trip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's sort of it's weird reading something like that and just the way that things are written and 
the context mm. it's mad what it fires up in your brain when you're I know. It's nice it was very nice i had a nice time so thank you thank you for coming on i think we have gone off on many strange little nostalgia trips when little yeah. things have fired our brains yeah. in the course of this podcast so far <laughs> that's what we're here to do if you want to join us on future trips you'll uh, be able to find the podcast at stctp.wigglehe.com yeah and you can support the podcast and you have been doing we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash stctp, and now we are making enough money to hire an editor to do one of every two episodes. So I only have to edit one episode a month now, and our friend Sam edits the other one. And if you want to check out Sam's podcast, it is called Alexandra Quick and the Audiobook Project. And we can afford to hire him just because of you. Thank you so much. I knew you were all good. <laughs> Sonic fans are good, actually. They're good. Well, Sonic, they're comic fans. <laughs> it does mean we have to pull the old finger out now and uh, start getting some actual benefits for them to get, uh, cobble together. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we'll do that soon. Thank you if you want to be part of the lovely group that helps us with that and uh, basically allows me to have some spare time and Sam to have some money, then go to patreon.com forward stctp. If you like the theme tune that we have at the opening, that is a song called Synchronize by, and I've said this a number of times, but our editor Sam told me he didn't believe me and thought it was a joke, so I'll be extremely clear. Sonic the Comic the Band is not something we made up and they're not named for their involvement in this podcast. They've been called it for ages and you'll find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com where they have their song Synchronize, which we use as a theme tune. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at uh, Sonic Podcast. We managed to get that. And we also do have individual Twitters. I am on there at Chris McFeely. And I am on there at Demon Tomato Dave. Yeah, I'm also on there as uh, Wretched Morgan. Yeah, that's Wretched, not Richard. And that's the name you use on Twitch as well. Go there and watch him do his streams. They're very funny and also they're very calm and relaxing and I just find them very nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, we have been Sonic the Comic the Podcast. And we We'll see you next time. Okay, so. How do we start? I don't really know. Now we've got to talk about some really bad news that we are not looking forward to trying to find a way to say to you. Yeah. Because we we've lost a friend. Yes. Uh, we are recording this on uh, the eighth of, of August, and uh, at the start of this week, on Monday, the third of August, our friend Seb Patrick passed away very suddenly and unexpectedly. Mm. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast from the start, then you may know Seb as he came on to guest star on episode number twelve. He was a, a writer and a a lover of all things geeky, I think he would have described himself as. He's written for Empire and The Guardian, mm -hmm. CBR, many, many websites and publications. He was he wrote the Red Dwarf website for years and years and years. I think Red Dwarf was probably his hugest fandom of all, but he was a huge fan of Roy of the Rovers, Bill and Ted. Yes, he was our football correspondent. That's where you remember him from most recently on this show, certainly. Yes. I, I should be up front and say that I mm -hmm. I didn't know Seb well. Um, right. I knew his name from his work, but I only came to interact with him directly and, and meet him and speak to him 
after making this podcast and i was i was lucky enough not so very long after we started doing this podcast to be invited to go on his podcast cinematic universe oh yeah and, uh, that's right that was tremendous fun oh i should have gone on that never did i did know seb quite well we were friends and we talked to each other a lot you know it's not every day but just about only on twitter mind that's where i knew him i knew him on the internet i'd never met him in real life even though there was plenty of chances. Here's a story. Here's a Seb story. Seb was a regular at Abby's comic shop. Mm. And we didn't know that because we didn't know that was him. <laughs> and it wasn't until after we'd started this podcast, I think after he'd been on it, that he came in one day and Abby was serving him and he just did go like, I ought to introduce myself properly. I'm, I'm Seb, you know, your friend from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? So no, I had I had ample opportunity to go meet the guy, but before 2020, I never used to get around to that sort of thing. And I think after 2020, I'm going to do it a lot more. Yeah. Because I've been going around thinking, it's nice that I know all these people who I can go and meet. And at some point, I'm going to get around to going and meeting them. Yeah. And you think you're all right not to get on with that quickly. And I uh, think I'm going to change that. I had the same sort of feeling as somebody who I was only really just beginning to get to know. Mm. Even then, though, his enthusiasm for the things that he loved was so clear through from his writing and through interactions on Twitter. It just felt like, yeah, yeah, eventually, at some point, at a convention, I'd get the opportunity to yeah. shake his hand and have a drink with him. Yeah, and that's exactly what we would have done. Mm. Um, it's... It's... Te- it's there's no, there aren't words, honestly. I'm I'm empty and I'm angry, honestly. Yeah, and... I'm I'm glad you've said that. I'm really cross about mm. this. This is someone I talk to every couple of days, and who was a key part of what I think of as the online experience. When I was thumbing through my timeline, if his face came up and went past, <laughs> I'd skid to a halt and go Stop back to read it. Um, yeah, he was one of our biggest supporters. Yeah, one of our most vocal proponents. Yeah, he he was always straight in with genuinely insightful comments. Yeah. Whenever we put an episode out, I'm really gonna miss knowing that's gonna happen. Seb could he could articulate why he loved something. Mm. Silly to say, really, but he didn't waste time being angry about things yes. any more than they deserved. You know, that's been my takeaway. I think you know because this week is it's one of those times where someone who you just like and you're just like, oh yeah, I like that person. And I'll chat to them all the time. You don't often sit down and go over a list of like what their qualities are that you like, and that's what's been happening. As soon as he was gone. The internet. Like, for two days, I couldn't scroll five tweets without mm. seeing a dedication to the guy. Yep. From This wasn't because I follow one person who was retweeting them all. They were coming in from every angle. He was widely loved. So what I think I want to say is that his absence is mourned by so many people yeah. that it made me stop and wonder what exactly it was about this particular nice normal guy. Because that was ultimately what he is. He was a nice guy that we all liked. What was it about him that we could all be doing? to elicit that sort of response when we go. Yeah. Would that we could be as lucky when uh, we yeah. go to be as, as fondly remembered exactly. by so many as Seb is. So much support coming in. So I think I'll be taking his example to try and focus a little bit less on showing off what I know and a little bit more on trying to share the joy of the things that have made me happy with people who don't know them yet. Because um, I can... I, was, I have this criticism of myself that's always there on the back burner i can hear in my own like online voice 
two different attitudes and one is the kind of and I, I keep gravitating towards it and it's this kind of tutting sardonic sarcastic nihilistic voice that wants to make dark jokes and all that sort of thing and then the other side is the bright enthusiastic one that wants to share what I love and that's what Seb was and I can't really remember him ever doing anything else he was always enthusiastic and and trying to share things that excited him or that he liked and now that he's off I think I'm making the decision finally to sort of deliberately spend as much time in that mode as I can Hazel Southwell said it in a her medium post about him the quote is someone who was so prolific and so generous with sharing his knowledge so warm and generous in doing it rather than hoarding it like weapons to be used to score points is unfortunately a rarity both in fandom and in the writers that cover it and uh, that really that made me think yeah i'm gonna make sure and i was already doing this but i'm gonna make sure that i'm filling a bit of that gap by being as positively enthusiastic about things as i can and like you know if more of us do that more of the time i think that would be a fitting tribute couldn't have said it better myself so seb was an excellent bloke and as good of a friend as anyone could ever hope to have and he'll be missed more deeply and more completely than he could ever know goodbye seb we'll miss you and so to finish off here's a recording of him that we found start the tape please hi Good night. Be good. Don't wake up too early. Good night.